Hi, I'm Jen. I love watching horror movies. I also have PTSD and I go to a lot of therapy. I'm Lara. I have anxiety and depression and love having the shit scared out of me. Wait, what? I'm Mike. I'm a therapist and I love talking about horror movies and mental health. <laughs> we love horror films for how much they scare us and for how much they help us. Because we love talking about mental health, aka how crazy we are, and the role the horror genre can play in our self-care, we started a podcast called Psycho Analysis. Every episode, we talk about a movie and how it relates to a different topic in mental health and wellness, whether it's a deep dive or a shorter episode of a movie that makes us feel all warm and fuzzy. But not in a weird way. Unless we're talking about hot horror sweaters, because then it is very weird. True. Very weird. <laughs> Our episodes drop every Thursday on the Consequence Podcast Network. Listen to find out how, how horror can, can heal. Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. All in the name of oh, All in the name of oh, All in the name of oh. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by the Consequence Podcast Network. I'm your host for today, Michael Monroeville Mall Rothman, and uh, we are here talking about the fourth episode in CBS All Access is The Stand, and that episode is called The House of the Dead, and that's not a reference to the video game in which you're supposed to reload and reload and every minute, and it's not a reference to the Christian Slater film that was an adaptation of that game. Uh, This is specifically the fourth episode of CBS All Access The Stand. So, uh, look, if you don't have, if you have, if you're confused, you thought that this was going to be a conversation about that video game, I assure you, Bloody Disgusting probably has many articles all about that video game that you can peruse, and you could also... Uh, potentially go to your local mall where they might actually have one of the old video games sitting there. Because, uh, hey, look, it's a classic, classic game. But, you know, this, uh, oh maybe I'm speaking a little too early, but this is a classic episode. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of this one. Um, but, hey, I'm just one of four here uh, up in Boulder. Uh, who else is out there? And I believe he's uh, he's got an electric guitar on him. Jesus. Wait, me? Rocket yeah. Randall Colburn? Yeah, Rock I'm always Colburn. Got, I always got a guitar around my neck. Uh, <laughs> This is Rockin' Randall Colburn, and I need to correct you. Uh, Christian Slater is not in the House of the Dead movie, but... Oh, it's Alone is, in the Dark. <laughs> he is in another Uwe Ball movie, which is Alone in the Dark, which is another video game adaptation. But yeah, House, House of the Dead, the biggest name I think you're going to find in that is uh, is Jurgen Pronchow, who also starred in Beverly Hills Cop 2. Oh, yes. Uh, and Clint How. The great Clint Howard. Uh, you'll have to forgive me. I have hiccups, which is why Mike is leading this episode. Uh, so if I do a hiccup, please forgive me. But I am very excited to talk about Stand Episode 4. four. Stand this Episode is- 4? <laughs> Stand Episode 4. <laughs> 
What if they just? What if we just called it all that? And like, even on like the listings for the episodes, drop the the stand episode yeah. four. Not even Sexier. recapping. No the. No titles. Anything that would be. Stand maybe episode just... four. House of the Dead. Great episode. Can't wait to talk about. Can't it. wait to talk about it. <laughs> oh, well, I'm hiccuping. We Who got a rocking hiccuping Randall over here. Uh, Let's go to Nashville, uh, because she still hasn't made it out here to Boulder, even though she has the pin set for it. Uh, That's right. Yeah. This is Jen. I don't have an accent, Adams. And I love this one. I do, too. Yeah, this is it's exciting. I'm excited to talk about this one. We When we got the episodes in a batch, like the new batch, Gremlins, uh, we, we, when I stumbled upon this episode, this was the one I was like, all right, I can't wait to talk about this episode yeah. and look i wasn't alone in that sort of uh that 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 love that that, that passion that fervor uh beside me while watching that episode uh there was a little one that was screaming out saying i want to talk about this episode too and uh, introduce yourself uh, that's me sammy wyzak kuykendall oh. <laughs> that's my favorite character of this episode he's I so think, good i think he's amazing <laughs> and I, we'll get into it but like I fucking love The Rock, too. So I was all about yeah. that. Um, but I am the social media manager. Yeah. And this is my first official episode. I've been on a Patreon episode, but this is Welcome. like... Welcome. Yeah, I feel I feel Yay. really excited about it. And I loved this episode. I, like, literally the episode ended and I was like, I know I haven't been on an episode, but I really want to be on episode four because it was just... It was my favorite by a long shot so far. So mm-hmm. I'm super excited to talk about it with you guys. Well, we are going to talk about it. Spoiler alert. And if you haven't watched the episode yet, I advise you to go back and log into cbsallaccess.com <laughs> and watch Stand for Episode 4. Um, <laughs> uh, but look, before we talk about this episode... We gotta we gotta cover some road uh, in a section that I cover love. Cover some road. We gotta cover some road in a section we like to call, and which is a reference to one of my favorite TV shows of all time, uh, Supernatural. Thanks to me. Yeah, thanks to you. Uh, in a, a section we're gonna call Road So Far. Right, and the road so far, we're going to basically talk about the rundown of uh, the episode. And look, this is probably one of the easier ones, uh, at least definitely easier than the past two episodes. Because um, well, the last episode <laughs> was pretty chaotic yes. in terms yes. of timeline <laughs> yeah. shifting. This yeah. one's a little simpler, yeah. Yeah. and I yeah. think what helps is that we start kind of by I think one of the biggest like you know moments of the stand, even though a lot of people don't love don't love like part two of the stand, like the section where they're in Boulder and they're kind of settling in Boulder. But the idea of the first public gathering is obviously like a very important moment. And Mm -hmm. what I love about this episode is it begins with everybody sort of getting ready for it. Mm -hmm. And it's the first moment when everybody's sort of getting ready for their first public gathering was sort of since everything happened. So Mm -hmm. I love sort of seeing, you know, like, uh, like Glenn tightening his tie, like Harold mm-hmm. even getting ready, getting his suit ready. And then we even get some character moments, like, uh, interspersed here with Larry sort of throwing mm. out his pills, like basically saying like, I have re reimagined who, 
who I am in this new society, and he is getting ready for it. And then it's all kind of underscored by Fran, who is writing in her diary, which is obviously mm-hmm. a big part of the book. But here we get to see, actually hear her, like, writing this diary, which are essentially letters to her unborn child. Which is interesting that they called last week's episode Blank Page and not this one. Right. <laughs> yeah, totally. Literally. Yeah. And also, like, House of the Dead, like, you'd think that would be the first episode. Yes. Maybe. Right. <laughs> Where they showed the church with all the dead people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't really I'm not understand. sure what the house they're pertaining to is yeah, in this one. It's a strange one, for sure. Maybe they're talking about... Uh, where Abigail is, I, it's a strange. It's weird, but I think it's the furniture store. Yeah, it could be. It's all the people that could have been sitting on those couches. <laughs> That's it. That is true. So we're just gonna go with it. They, you know, they they called last week blank page for. I, I, I'm still kind of, I guess. Probably because of Nick, I think, because that's such a Nick-centric episode. Yeah, and yeah, he is that makes the sense because he has the blank page. You know? Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Only see out of one eye. Yeah, that's true. Okay, well, <laughs> hey, look, we also get a lot of Nick uh, and Tom here. We get a, yeah. we get a. This is a grounding episode. Mm-hmm. I think that what's what's important to stress here is that this is really where you get to kind of get a feel for the characters, and you get a, you get a little emotional towards the characters too, because uh, in addition to the the committee meetings and the the town hall. Which are, as Randall already, uh, you know, talked about, like, it's in book two. Like, that is book two right there. And one of the mm-hmm. biggest complaints, one of the biggest gripes that a lot of people have, a lot of people on this podcast, not Jen, not were me. The, the meeting <laughs> minutes, which is a very <laughs> arduous uh, thing when you're trying to adapt the, the stand. It's something that Benjamin Cavell actually talked about on uh, our, our episode with him. What are you going to do? You can't have, like, a, we joked around saying, like, you could have a whole episode be, like, C-SPAN. But mm-hmm. what they really do here that's artfully, uh, you know, and creatively done is lean on the structure. The, you mm-hmm. know, the structure that's been kind of gathering a little rust and huffing and puffing a little bit over the last couple of episodes really works uh, in the favor here. Because I love the cross-cutting between not only them getting ready to go for this, uh, this town hall assembly, but also getting, you know, peeling it back to, to kind of what they're going to talk about at the town, the, the town hall with their ad hoc committee, uh, mm-hmm. committee meetings. And it's really stylistically smart and savvy and it's framed in a way from beginning to end with this episode where it doesn't feel reckless. And mm-hmm. I felt that's where I, I think that's one of the reasons why I love this episode so much. It, it's, I, I kept texting uh, Randall about this. I, I kept using the word elegant. There's an elegance to the structure and format here that we haven't really seen since maybe the first episode. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, the foundation is so firm because we are with the committee for so long and we go to like two flashbacks that are very different, but we've been with both of those characters throughout the episode. And we're also like, they are no longer on the road anymore. So the flashbacks can feel transient because we are grounded in Boulder and, and not just like we start out and, Oh, this is Boulder. And here we're introducing Boulder. Like we know what this place is now. So it feels like we're departing from a place and then going back to it and there's security there. Like I was watching the last episode and it was like watching the stand greatest hits on shuffle, you know, like it kept like cycling through all of these scenes. And I was like, oh, that, oh, that, oh, that. But it didn't fit together. And this was the first time I felt like it really, really fit. It also helps that there aren't that many flashbacks. Like, I think there are really only two or three significant ones. Well, the flashbacks that happen here are very, very they're all very impactful. Like each Mm -hmm. one really, really matters. And I think that actually speaks a lot to maybe the, the parts of the, the parts of the series that haven't worked as well, which is maybe like, you know, you're hopping between flashbacks that maybe don't like, they don't feel as impactful here. We got like the flashbacks we 
we have are all super important because it's about like we see um, Harold and Fran, like Harold basically confessing his love to yep. Franny and and her response, which is really harsh and really intense. And we'll talk more about that later. And then we see the truck scene, like the the zoo, I believe it's called, where basically you you have in, in the book, it's several men. But here we have yeah. one man who basically is holding several women hostage in a very vol- volatile, violent situation and wants, you know, Franny to be a part of it. And then, um, you know, basically Harold isn't going to protect her. So we have Glenn and Stu who are sort of the, the people who help in that situation. But then ultimately it's the women who sort of overcome this man. And then um, I'm trying to think, are, what's we the also other? Get, we also get Tom and Nick, uh, yes. which yeah. is, Tom which and is Nick really flashback. key. And Julie, which is, yeah. it's key because it's the only really honest glimpse we get into Nick's back backstory that we see in the book which is really important because we haven't gotten anything else with nick really i mean we get a little bit in the series but none of the stuff that really resonates within the book this whole section i think actually works really well because Mm -hmm. not only does it set up uh julie laurie who is a really interesting character but it does allow you to show a little bit of friendship between nick Nick and Tom, which exactly. is important. And there is a lot of moments where I think they're they're using a lot of these small moments, like they're relying on them pretty heavily heavily to help set up kind of emotion and future stuff. So that's pretty much the extent of the flashbacks we get in this. Yeah. And these are the only ones that I've felt like were warranted and like actually contribute to the core storyline. Because yeah. I feel like most of the flashbacks in the previous couple of episodes don't really have anything to do. They're just kind of like an afterthought, it mm-hmm. feels to me. And I'm sure you guys mm-hmm. have talked about it on previous episodes. And Mike and I share essentially the, you know, most of the same opinion on what's happened these last couple. And this was the only time and why I liked the episode so much where the structure and format of the, you know, popping in from the normal storyline to see other characters, it's actually contributing to what they're actually talking about in like mm-hmm. in the office, you know, when they're talking about like sending people and all yes. that. So it actually like these flashbacks are actually contributing to their choices mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. opposed to just kind of thrown in and kind of like random. I also feel like for non book readers, this is the first episode that's been pretty easy to follow along. Totally. Yeah. 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 And it's been also, I mean, it's been, Gosh, probably four years since I've read it, maybe five. I think four for me. Yeah, yeah. And although a lot of, you know, the main things stick out in my head, I'm still pretty rusty on a couple of things just because it's been so long. When you read things after the fact, too, it kind of leaves your memory. And mm-hmm. those first couple of episodes, even for a book reader, I was kind of like, fuck, what the fuck's going yeah, on? It's a lot. So, right. so this one was the first time where I felt like, oh, I could have gone into this episode and having watched the first couple, not read the book, and totally get what's going on and what they're trying to um, show us. What, what also yeah. stuck out to me is that in addition to being tight, you know, structurally, it allows it to kind of breathe a little. I mean, there mm-hmm. are some really slow, like, quiet moments with the characters that we haven't been able to get. Like, the fact yeah. that we have that really wonderful moment between, like, Stu and Franny by the fire and there's literally mom- there's literally seconds that you hear this the wind like like mm-hmm. silence like these are things that are going back to like the first episode when i was you know referencing my other favorite show breaking bad uh created by <laughs> vince God gilligan damn him, um, yeah, yeah, no, no, four no, every, we are you guys four don't have four to now. sit here and watch it with him every time <laughs> but, he fucking watches yes, this <laughs> look, 
you know, so we've been dating for almost three years again? now, yeah. and uh, I will say that you've seen me watch Breaking Bad three times. Uh, so, hey, four times the charm. Sure. We're going right back into it's lockdown. It's not fun. Um, it's not a fun one. But, but either way, um, I will say that the, 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 one of the things I love about those type of dramas is the fact that you get those moments. There's finesse. And yeah. in the in the stand really needs those moments because you mm-hmm. need those moments to kind of sit back and reflect on everything that's been lost, everything that's been gone. And you get them like multiple times here in this show and in this episode. And like you get it with Stu and Franny, you get it with Teddy and, um, and Harold when they're talking mm-hmm. about like, you know, is the rock still alive? It's funny, but also at the same time, it's one of those things that I love about King's work where you get to kind of disconnect from the action that's happening and just kind of question the ramifications and consequences of everything going on around you and you get that with like with larry going to see a nightmare on elm street and then you know at the Mm -hmm. end they're like oh you know freddie was teased to come back but he'll never come back because you know (laughs) the world's over and Mm -hmm. i think there's even sections of the book if i recall i mean the two of you are rereading it but isn't there a sections where they they talk about like hollywood elites that are like the where they're kind of dealing with like the the pandemic and stuff like that that's ensuing and everything also like you get little moments with people that are that, that give you that build up the apocalypse and mm-hmm. that's what this episode g- gave me it gave yeah. me the stakes it gave me the emotions to care about these these characters well, yeah, it's a character driven novel yeah. like the whole i mean yeah. when i was reading it i remember fin- i put off finishing it just because i had loved the characters and being with them so much it wasn't even about the 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 super flu at that point or the good versus evil it was just kind of like hanging out with them in boulder and i was gonna miss them you know and so this was like this series for me, you know, has been on and off as yeah. far as things that I've liked and disliked. But this was the first one where I was like, oh, yeah, these are the characters that I fell in love with and why I love this book so much. It's kind of yeah. like it's kind of like in, in uh, fall of 2019 when I can see it on his uh, face. Netflix dropped El Camino <laughs> and you were like, oh, my God, I can't believe Jesse Pinkman's back can't believe uh, it. in the saddle. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I'm just joking. But um, so, yeah, let's, <laughs> well, let's... I th- I'd say like what I. What I really love about it is it's a big world building episode because we actually Mm -hmm. get to see a little bit of, I don't know, there's just like various moments where we're seeing sort sort of the, the real impact of the pandemic on the world. The idea that there are these predators who have, you know, I think seeing the truck scene, which is, was, was not in the 94 miniseries and is in the book and is probably one of the more disturbing parts of the book. This idea that men are, are rounding up women and sort of, and sort of, you know, asserting sort of, you know, a very uh, violent dominance over them. And I think actually incorporating that scene in the book does show the, the darker side of, of perhaps what is happening in the post pandemic and um, like seeing that is I think really important. And then I think also what I, what I love about this episode is that it confronts the, the skepticism around somebody like mother Abigail, like the idea of how do we reconcile maybe not having faith in a grander sort of scheme Mm -hmm. with the idea that we're all sharing these dreams. And I Mm -hmm. think Glenn is the best, you know, in the book, You're it's that way as science. well. Yeah. yeah, he's a man of science who sort of, you know, is trying to reconcile those ideas. And as somebody who's just finished my my latest reread of the book, one of the things I struggle with is that Glenn is actually one of the first people to sort of kind of come around in the book to being like, oh, yeah, this is God. And like, <laughs> I, I struggle with that a little bit in the book. I had kind of forgotten that, but I love sort of the response. And we can talk about this more in our character section, Mars and Scars. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the tease. Yeah. Um, 
but I kind of love the way that that Glenn approaches the concept of the spiritual with Harold, you know, and the concept of like, you know, people have always asked for proof of God. And and now this might be like we're inching towards proof of God. Aren't you interested in following that rabbit hole? Yeah. Like that to me is super interesting. And I'm, well, it's like an objective I'm glad that they approach that. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Which, Which I love. to sell it to him, too, I kind of read it as. And I know in the book, like, um, Stu is the one who kind of has to sell joining the team to him because they have a Mecklen or Glenn isn't in the picture at that point, I don't think. But I, I liked how they were kind of approaching Harold in that way. And, I mean, also – a, a thing that's not in the book is they are hiding the spies from her. And they yeah. specifically say, she says, don't do anything. We have to sit and wait. And I don't think she says that in the book. I think no. they get frustrated with her, but it's not until after the, like, what, ha- like what happens? The thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the thing. Yeah. I think that's something that I've been thinking about a lot with this episode, which I do like this episode a lot, but there's a lot of moments here where they're, you can tell that they're, this is where the TV writer comes in, you know, like they're trying to adapt this to television. So they're trying to create conflict in areas where in the book, there's not a lot of conflict. So, (gasps) excuse me, I got hiccups. Uh, So here you've got uh, Mother Abigail, who in the book, like, she isn't the most active character Mm-mm. here. You have her objecting to the, the idea of sending spies to Vegas. Cause she says, we need to wait and see. We don't know like what the real issue is with Randall flag yet. And I almost, I do think that in a lot of ways, this, this is where I think it speaks to a lot of my concerns about other Abigail with this series before, which is like, they don't really know know what to do with her so they're just no. kind of letting her be this stasis character who is sort of reacting to two events and uh so there's that but then we also ha- excuse me we also have the ending with uh nadine uh harold and teddy mm-hmm. which is i don't dislike this ending at all but it's a very tv en- ending which is the idea yes. that like the the procurement of the dynamite or the thing that will you know service excuse me, uh, Harold's, you know, plan, which we don't know the full extent of yet, at least in this point in the series, the procurement of the the dynamite and the bombs and the explosion and everything, that is something that is a plot line now, which which yep. really isn't in the book or in the, right. in the miniseries. And here we have him basically, you know, we have Nadine. Wait, is it him or Nadine? Who sh- it's Nadine. Who it's sh- Nadine. 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 Yeah, Nadine yeah. shoots... T- Shoots Teddy, which I think is a good use of Teddy. Uh, None of this is in the book. And I actually think it does work pretty well. But Mm -hmm. it does sort of serve as sort of a a soul drain, I think, on both Nadine and Harold. And having to the shock ending, too. Yeah, exactly. It feels like I was watching an episode of 24 or something. You know, like, Mm -hmm. tune in next week to see. Or it's it's like when, you know, like Gus Fring... Went off on. I'm just joking. <laughs> Damn it, Mike! I'm just fired. But then he no, shows but, up and he starts ringing his bell. Yeah, yeah. you know. But uh, but uh, actually, th- 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 I would say one of the things I do like about that that key conflict there is that it gets some sort of momentum going in Boulder, mm-hmm. which is kind of what we needed a little bit. Like yep. Yep. I-, I felt like for a while, like they kept going back here, and we we're like, all right, well, why? <laughs> like yeah. I get it. We, we're we're table yeah. setting here, but we're four episodes in. And we got nine. Let's get this going. Come on. And I like that the fact that they've the, – I thought they did the, the way that he kind of 
gels into finding the dynamite and everything felt somewhat natural because he had you know throughout the whole series he does dig his hands into his in his pockets yeah, yeah. and the fact that he finds it was it doesn't feel too serendipitous to me, but I do agree that it is very TV. Like it is yeah. very well, like yeah, the scene where he well, pulls it out, it's like it like the wind blows over yeah. him, and it's like mm-hmm. kind of like supposed to be like flag giving him, you know, giving them push of yeah. like put your hand call. in your pocket. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, I'll say it, like, I like I like this version of him. Like in the miniseries, we see him have a dream where oof. he learns where the the. Do- the dynamite is, and he sees like a dead guy in a car. He goes, hey, "You're buddy. a real wild card. Yeah. Like, you're, you're a card, aren't you? Wild card. It's like bitches. one of the cheesiest scenes. And here, I actually love the idea that like, oh, they found a reason or reason for where he gets the dynamite, which is like, oh yeah, the way that snowbound towns like uh like deal with avalanches and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like they have to create avalanches. And yeah. so they use dynamite. I actually love that because it gives a lot of like, okay, well, here's where he would find that. That's what, it, I think it that felt was like a really something smart that you'd idea. see in like Last yeah. of Us Part Two, though. <laughs> the way it <laughs> unfolds, like I feel like that's how the characters in The Last of Us would like find things. Or like in a video yeah. game when you open yeah. something up and you have to like undo, and it's like, press like yeah, so like, to read it. Like, <laughs> why, why are they showing me that there's a map here? It must right. mean something. <laughs> Also, you know? I wanted some disco music while he was finding the map. Well. I hate that part when he's like, Gene, don't mess with my disco in the 94 version. I'm like, Harold, uh, like, A, it's not nerdy to like disco music. I know. Disco I don't music think he's is actually quite old good. enough either. He wasn't old enough. Yeah, yeah. It's such a weird choice. <laughs> but they could have had Larry playing something. Like- because <laughs> the, 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 like, what is it? America the Beautiful comes over and he's mm-hmm. still playing it. And it's, it was a, Missed opportunity. I, I will say it was a missed you know? opportunity. We, we talked about Mother Abigail for just a glimpse, but the one thing I, I, I that made me think, God, I wish this was a full on series, is just what they do with her. Is like I love the idea of where she's at in this I, this too. home with surrounded by dead bodies. She's just waiting, and I like that it's Nick and Tom that they give Nick and Tom a little bit more gravitas to like have essentially save her. And get out of there. She's the closest with Nick. And she is, yeah. And so that kind of connects the puzzles there. But the thing that made me think was like, God, could you imagine a whole bottle episode with like Abigail in this like dead stricken home? And she keeps flashing back to like her past and we can get Mm -hmm. a little bit more from her. And we it's like that's that your, that, that's your chance to build up Abigail. Because in the book, you have stories of her as a kid, yeah. you know what uh-huh. it was like growing up. Like I was even I remember reading it, and I loved the passage where like she talks about how everyone she's ever loved has like died already because she's outlived everyone, and mm-hmm. that's what makes you care for the character yeah. as opposed to these kind of like quick quips you get from her of like well, we shouldn't do that. Or it's like, she's just like the angel on your shoulder kind of in this. That, and, and that's right. what Randall's, I, I was, I, I agree in the sense that like, they just don't really know what to do. And it feels as if like, I, I'm just wondering, are we going to get an episode where we get more of her? Like we, we go in the past. I mean, like you're saying, like there's so much in the book with right. Abigail that it feels like, if you're going to build this character up, like use some of the lore there. Yeah, I mean, Whoopi Goldberg. Like, yeah. If you want to make her more than a trope, you have yeah. to mm-hmm. show a little bit more character, and we haven't yeah. gotten that, gotten that yet, and that's what's hard. 
her section in the book is structured that way. Like mm-hmm. she's walking to get chickens right. and she's having yep. flashbacks. And so when I heard that it was going to be a flashback structure, that was the first thing that I thought about. I was like, oh, we're going to get Mother Abigail stuff. And even like, I like the the Hemingford home thing and they have established that Stephen King is there too. Oh, yes. oh no, oh, Spoiler God. for 237. <laughs> so we could have had like a Geordie Vero kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Which would have been fun. Probably uh, cheesy, but you know, I, I, or maybe yeah. he's like got his face in the soup or something. Here, yeah, go. exactly. And they could have referenced that, or he'd be like, yeah. you know, hey, how you doing over there? Are you getting a yeah. cough? And she's just like, no, I'm actually doing pretty well. Uh, uh, stay away from me. Feeling um, fine. Yeah. You know, hey, uh, I got a book for you to read. Um, <laughs> it's like you know. But yeah, just... I think part of the uh, part of the reason I think this episode works so well is it is so focused on our major characters. Mm-hmm. Yes. And also that it's focused on I think and. I I texted you a little bit about this earlier, Mike, but it's focused on the characters that the show is best developed, which is Harold and Franny. Like we, we get really good Harold content here and we get really good Franny content here. Like, and man, Odessa Young just kills it. And like, we, Mm -hmm. we open and we end on her writing in her diary. And I Mm -hmm. think the diary is really, really integral to the story because Mm -hmm. it really does sort of, like play up the idea that the world is now different than it was when I grew up, you know, she's Mm -hmm. like in the book, she has those, um, she ends each of her diary entries by being like, let's like things I remember, you know, Mm -hmm. things that are now gone that were there when, um, you know, she was alive that her daughter will never know about. And that's like, um, well, her daughter or her son, her baby will never know about. And I think that's really interesting. So we don't really get that this episode, but we do get the idea that she's writing to her child from this place of, you know, the world has changed. And yeah. I'm trying to convey to you that we are sort of the beginning of a new generation generation of people who is um you know ex- like kind of trying to restart society and that to me is like really powerful but then we also get what well, we get more in this episode i think than we do i mean i've just reread the book there's not really a lot of justification for Stu and franny's relationship aside mm-hmm. from the fact that they're really horny for each yeah. other <laughs> like they just think each other are really hot like that's Mm -hmm. literally the extent of it in the book like and it's and we joke a lot about it in our text threads and even i I know on our stand episodes from from several years ago we joke a lot about the various pound cake about the fact that all they want to do is fuck each other and like after every episode or i'm sorry every section every chapter there's always like a quip there's always every episode ends with them basically being like, okay, we just had a very serious conversation. How about I take your clothes off? You right. Know? And that's oh my like, gosh, he stops her mouth with a kiss so yes, many times. Like every time. <laughs> like, let her finish her sentence. <laughs> Whereas in this episode, we we actually get this really beautiful, lovely mm-hmm. conversation with them in the midst of all mm-hmm. the darkness where they actually get to bond and talk and she shares her fears with him and they get vulnerable with each other. And it is like, it's such a good scene that Mm -hmm. is not in any other iteration of the stand. And I appreciate it so much for that reason. Cause I'm like, I actually really buy this love story now, you know? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, it's, and that's honestly one of the things that I got from just the first opening minutes of this series. The fact that we are going to get a better portrayal of Franny than we might, we might've gotten in the book and certainly what we got in the 94 miniseries. Yeah. And watching her story unfold, 
especially alongside Harold, because I mean, look, I don't want to, you know, spout out too many things here, but like they're the two MVPs right now. Like yeah, we, at least absolutely. where we are yeah. in this series, they're certainly the MVPs. They're the backbone. And this show is absolutely been built on them you know and Mm -hmm. especially with what we learned from benjamin cavell we can definitely you know glean that the fact that franny is going to be a a a much more of a main character than we might have assumed you know a year going into this project um and then and i and i and i and for me that's been certainly revelatory for this adaptation because yeah for me that i've always felt that she was just underwritten in certain parts or at least not we didn't get enough you know we get so much with her early on in the novel and i feel like we kind of get uh disconnected with her somewhere in book two she's not very dynamic in the novel and i you know kind of hate saying that because i love her so much but here i think she and harold are really emerging as like the two voices of the show especially because she is she's speaking Nick's Nick's words also, which is different from the book where he would write everything and just whoever would read it. And now they look to her and it's giving her so much more of a voice, which I love. And like the counterpoint of that is Harold's uh, ledgers, which I love in the book as well, because it really shows the the light and the dark of what the new world could become. And I, I think it's really smart that they're leaning into it. And I, it's just giving Franny a lot more action. You know? I also think that they're just the most relatable characters for mm-hmm. right now for, I mean, uh, like, cause I'm like Franny's age, maybe a couple years older. Um, and I just love how real she is. Like she, they mm-hmm. never put her in too much makeup, her hair. Like, cause it's like, I'm sorry. Like at the end of the world, I'm not going to fucking hit up Sephora to make sure that I have my foundation, <laughs> you know? So like right. she's in like a sweatshirt, a baggy zip up and her hair is never like curled or anything. It's just natural and wavy. And it's just, she's what a real person looks like. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I'm sure you guys have talked about it, but Harold obviously in this time is, the incel community is very like large, unfortunately. And there are a lot of men like Harold in this day and age. Obviously it's changed a lot. Like, Her- People like Harold have been around forever, but yeah. um, I still, I think it says something that his character is, is so relatable to a lot of, you know, people and men I've interacted with over the years, even 40 years later. Yeah. So after the, you know, source material is written. So and not to say that some of the other characters aren't relatable, but like Larry's a rock star, you know, Stu's a good old boy. Like yeah. for most people who are, for most people in their 20s that are watching this or like, you know, on CBS All Access or enjoying this series, I think that they are the two most relatable characters for the audience that they've directed it towards. Oh, totally. And I, and I think that they're, that's the reason why they're the, arguably the most nuanced. Um, I, I mean, I can't really, I mean, I don't want to, I mean, we were only four episodes in, but I'm going to make the prediction that the complexities of these characters are going to be certainly outmatched compared to everyone else. And I think that's certainly a pointed um, reason. Like, I think they did that on purpose. And I think a lot of it is because the two characters allow the 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 writers to funnel in so much commentary about what this story can provide. I mean, like, with Harold, we get probably the most promising like like look at like choice and yes. am i going to be the right guy or am i going to be the wrong guy with franny it's exactly what randall was saying is that this is someone who is who is bringing in new life into a, a different world that she doesn't know yet and she doesn't mm-hmm. know how to you know she's grappling with it herself and i i think those point of views are so key and and i think that's honestly 
to your point, what you're saying, Randall, is I, th- I do think that's why the, this episode works really well. But I also think that that's why I'm still interested in this sh- this miniseries so much because I. But I, that's I, but it's like like ex- like you're right 100. percent But it's like Franny also also misses the old world. Mm-hmm. Harold does not. Like, no, Harold exactly. Hates because the old someone world. like Harold thrives in a situation like this. This is the best opportunity for someone like him. Yeah, and like that's what I love is that scene. Like honestly, my favorite scene of this episode is the scene where where Harold confesses his love for her. So we flash yeah. back. We see them like you know. They're on the road together. They've met Stu, but they've moved on. The one problem I have with the scene is when I think Harold says, this is about Stu Redman, isn't it? I know. I'm like, yeah. I know. Oh, yeah. met him we for could, like two yeah. seconds. Come I know. You wouldn't like, remember the no. name. <laughs> yeah. And so, but at the same time, I love that scene where he's basically like, okay, now's the time. Because for him, yeah. it's not like, this is fate. It's not mm-hmm. circumstance. It's not coincidence that the two of them ended up it, like yeah. being the, the, the living people in Ogunquit. Like mm-hmm. in his mind, it was fate. So that means that they were meant to be together. And that is such a fundamentally different mindset than Fran has. And yes. so the idea that he is basically like, I love you. And it, that's a foregone conclusion because we were meant to be together Obviously, because like the gods dictated, not God, but the gods dictated that we were meant to be together. And Harold, I I mean, Fran, I just love the line when she's basically like, I will I will never feel these feelings for you. You know, like the idea that she is so definitive in that. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of women have been in that circumstance. Like I have been in situations (laughs) like that, you know, where you have to kind of say like, I'm sorry, I can't, I don't feel that way, you know? And Mm -hmm. again, and he does kind of almost like, it is like gods because it's almost this like Greek thing or like this Adam and Eve thing that he thinks like, we're the last two people, you know, Mm -hmm. or we are supposed to kind of recreate society. Exactly. And for her, she's like, I don't give a fuck if you're the last motherfucker on earth. Like I will not, I will raise this kid alone. I don't, care like nothing will make me love you and I love like my particular like fate because I do love that scene but my favorite part is at the end when she goes we're good right Harold Uh and he's like we're good Franny go to sleep and it's like I know that feeling of like because she although although she knows she's okay like she knows that she could probably take him if she needed to there's always for every woman that has ever been in a situation with a man where you've had to turn them down in the back of your head, you have to kind of make sure like, am I safe? Are we okay? Can I close my eyes and go to bed right now without worrying about God awful things that you could do, you know? And that's, that's what she's thinking. And that's what I felt was in that moment where she's just like, I really want to go to bed, but I have to make sure that I'm going to be safe when I close my eyes. Um, and I think for, I don't care if you're 15, 20, 30, 40 years old. Every woman knows what that feels like to just kind of check in and make sure I'm okay. Yeah. 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 Did I code my language enough? Exactly. I still say. Was I kind enough without hurting your feelings, but wanting to make my, you know, make Mm -hmm. my stand. But the thing about Harold is you'll never, ever do that because for him, like the, the idea that he survived this means that he is chosen. You know what I mean? Like he believed, like he said, and there's allusions to this in this episode as well, but I always come back to the concept of him saying in Vegas, he would be a prince, right? Like Mm -hmm. out West, he would be a prince. And then Nadine repeats that line to him in this episode, which we can get to later, but it's like, uh, Fran doesn't, 
doesn't think that way. You know, for her, it's kind of like, no, we're still human beings existing in the order that we have existed in. Whereas he is basically like, we have been anointed and especially I have been anointed. And so you basically like, it's all like, so it's everything you were saying, Sammy, but almost heightened even more because he's basically like, well, who else are you going to choose? You know, Mm -hmm. because (laughs) yeah. Like why would the two of us from, from the same town have survived if we were not meant to be together because he sees it all in this grand sort of Greek tragedy kind of level. Whereas uh, Fran is this much more grounded in humanity and basically like, I'm going to do what I want to do. And he is just like, well, no, we, we have different rules now. And so I find that very interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think what's interesting about Harold in this episode, I think this is a big turning point for him because I think he thinks that he would thrive in this world because he thinks that now's my chance to be a man and save the day and now's my chance for all of the women to be on me and he gets all of those things in this episode and he fails every single time like he has his opportunity to save Franny with the zoo and he can't and he has Nadine like literally on top of him like this gorgeous (laughs) woman like this is what he dreamed about in the book and he's not able to I mean, through (laughs) hold out, you know, and so like he gets these opportunities to prove to himself what he always imagined he would be in the situation. And I think that's part of where the anger at the end comes from is that he can't he sees that like the reality is that I am not as strong as I thought I was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the I mean, because you look at the, the whole of this episode and a lot of it seems to be discussing the idea of choice, you know, and the, you know, who are you going to be in this world that's forming around us? And that kind of culminates with their decision making at the very end. You know, where they're like, well, look, we're tasking ourselves with making the choices. Are we making the right choice? You know, Mm -hmm. and that's why I kind of love that that it ends or kind of for the most part ends with them sending Tom off because that is it's a questionable choice. You know, it's like, well, Well, and I think uh, Franny even writes that in her journal. Like, will you be able to forgive us Mm -hmm. for what we've done? Yeah. And so I, I think thematically it's one of the, it's not the first episode, but I think it's probably the strongest episode thematically where you get something really succinct. Yeah. So far. Yeah. You know, and I I think that's Mm -hmm. why all the threads really tie together. Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. But look, we've talked a lot about characters (laughs) And I think it's, I think we, before we get too deep into them, I think we need to go to a little section that Jen came up with called, Ooh. what is it, Jen? It's called Mars and Scars. <laughs> or the right. two hunks of the stand. Yeah. <laughs> Play that Straw Dogs clip. I saw you leaving. You bored with the sermon? 
No, no, just not really my thing. Hmm. Can I give you a piece of friendly advice? Sure. Now, it's one thing to come into town and think you're too good for the people who live here. I don't know why you'd say that. I, I but, wouldn't. But being too good for God, that's another thing entirely. All right, welcome to Mars and Scars. We talk about James Marston, star of Disturbing Behavior in X-Men 2, <laughs> and Alexander Skarsgård, star of HBO's Big Little Lies. And as well as a heart. couple other characters. And yeah. a couple <laughs> other characters. But look, we got a, we got a lot here. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to really break down the ones that we got to discuss. So we got three that were really introduced. We got Dana Jurgens, played by Natalie Martinez, with Judge Ferris, who was kind of introduced, uh, played by Gabrielle <laughs> Brit Rose. Not really. Uh, one of my problems with it. And then we have mm-hmm. Julia Lowry, played by Catherine McNamara. Uh, so those are the three big ones that we are introduced. We could, t- we could discuss those now. We could discuss those later. Or we can go and talk about the continued stories. Uh, I would like to talk about Judge Ferris, who... I'm just really annoyed that they made no effort I to actually develop this character because <laughs> well, yes, like, I said last night, I was like, okay, you're going to, you're going to make her a woman. Cool. You're going to change, you know, her like, yeah, fine sh- by me, yeah. which is fine. Yeah. But then you do nothing, nothing with nothing. her. They and show her in the front like, seat when come, Larry first walk, you know, comes into Boulder and then, which and then I you're only supposed to feel something. Watch. Exactly. Yeah. Like then you're supposed to feel something when she's like loading up into her Prius and they're saying goodbye. And it's like, I don't even fucking know well, this person. Here's the problem with this is that, so when we get these moments when they're, you know, being called by the committee, we know Tom. We know Dana yeah. because we just saw what happens with Dana and we know that she's going to have, we're going to buy her conviction to spy in Vegas because we saw exactly what she did at the zoo. Yeah. You couldn't give me one fucking scene in the last four episodes with Judge Ferris? Like, just yeah. something? Yeah. Like, even like even if it was like, you know, Larry with Nadine and they pick her up and they have like a conversation. Just something. Just something. Right. If I hadn't read the book, I wouldn't have even known that she was even a key character at no, all. No, yeah. it's, it's, it, it's very. It reminds me of like... <laughs> That, that the old like classic comedy trope where you know you're opening up doors and like you know you have one character that's that's hiding in there and then you close the door and you close you open up another door and there's like dinosaurs and you're like oh my god that's hilarious you know like, mm. w- w- well, we're, like we weren't it, expecting like, not that scary very scary yes exactly <laughs> yeah. but, so but like with this it's just like wait who the hell is this like right. w- w- what are you surprising me with like w- who's this character I like, love they build up to they're like you know I have my next one that I'm gonna suggest like for mm-hmm. you know for the spies and they like and he's like I'm gonna ju- suggest the judge and it's like we don't like, know this, this I know. character it's, it's, it's one of the it's it's one of the blemishes on this the very rare blemish on this episode as yeah. they showed in the 94 miniseries it really doesn't take much to set them up like Ozzy no. Davis like legend legendary character actor like i mean it helped having him in the role but it's like they showed him at the the general meeting you know when they all actually met like the judge actually had a couple lines and was somebody who was respected in the committee and as so i just i just finished my reread of the book uh this week and you know the judge they actually do do a really good job of setting up because it's like who else like the judges consider considered in that community one of the people who understands society Mm -hmm. and how to run a society and how to like construct a society like and people like better than most people who are there and the the judge is really integral in that regard and so it's like the fact that they made no effort to really set her up was too bad uh whereas i do think it it was really smart to set up dana at like show kind of how she was sort of the the prime um 
instigator in getting getting away from the zoo and from I believe his name's Garvey is the name of the of the mm, villain Gar- who is yeah. sort of but yeah, it's like, like Doc in the yeah it's it's two characters but Doc is the one that gives them the pills in the book yeah right mm. and so but I like that they use Garvey they, they sort of use this opportunity to show okay Dana's the one who was kind of the go getter uh, and was was able to help them escape from the zoo and then so she she would be a good person to send over there. And then, mm-hmm. and so it kind of it like allows you to actually get a sense of that character. And then Tom Cullen, obviously, I think they do a pretty good job of describing why he would be a good choice. They actually show that there's thought put into that. What mm-hmm. they lose obviously from the book is that Tom actually has this sort of, they hypnotize, they like yes. hypnotize yeah. him in the book to show that like, as their way of sort of telling him what to do. And then in doing so, they sort of, tap into this uh, galaxy brain where he's where he's sort of zone. like yeah, yeah dead zone where he sort of taps into uh, what's going on with Randall Flagg and speaks from this different level and he calls himself God's Tom and that that yeah. to me is an interesting part of the of the book but also at the same time it does play up the book's Christian themes which are yes. really intense it's and fantastical that's something, yeah and that's something we can talk more about in future episodes but uh, but it's, all, yeah. it's like I'm 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 half and half on them cutting the hypnotizing scene, but I think at the same time it probably did help sort of streamlining streamline it a little bit. So. Yeah, I mean it's just it's just kind of confounding because for as tight this episode is, it's you might as well just had a scene where they're like, all right, who else are we gonna send? And then you like the judge is walking by, like looking around, like, wow, this place is pretty cool. I'm like, hey, <laughs> right. come hey, on you. in. Yeah. What's your name? <laughs> what I love about the judge in the book is that she informs so much of Larry's arc because mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. relationship is really what kind of is a transition point for yep. him. Yep. And I feel like like we were talking about the two central characters kind of emerging are Franny and Harold. And in the book, I feel like it's really Harold and Larry. Yeah. Yes. And I just don't really feel that arc well, coming from Larry. In the book, they really focus on the fact that Harold has been using, or I mean, Larry has been using Harold's messages to get there. Right. Like, he has kind of built him up in his brain to be this like amazing man that's helped him out. Like he's it's he's been sending him messages from beyond essentially. And they kind of like obviously they you know, they show you that he's been following his messages, but their relationship they show in the book how kind of disappointed Larry is when he meets him, you know, of like, oh, this is not what I was expecting. And they kind of, you know, put their foot in the door with it a little bit, but they didn't really show us exactly like how close, you know, they how close Larry wanted to well, be. Well, it's all undeveloped, underdeveloped the, that, that whole area, that whole area of the story here, because yeah. e- even in the last episode, that's where we kind of needed it because, and it goes back into the idea that we didn't get the focus of Nadine because Nadine is part and parcel of that story. So if we had been able to follow her and let's say during Nadine's trek, because one of the biggest blind spots we have in this entire saga so, so far is how Larry went from leaving Rita to meeting Nadine, really, because obviously we saw him on the road. road. But then what happens after that, really? Like, okay, great. They went to a baseball stadium, which seems like a superfluous scene in hindsight. But like, and then then they met the judge and they went to Boulder. Like, there's a huge gap of story that's missing there that could have easily been, like, if it, if there was something there, it would check the box off to give us a little bit more of Nadine, give us more of Larry, and then also give us for the judge, which is why, like, in hindsight, I'm like, why did they just do that baseball scene? Because it doesn't really add anything other than the fact that, like, well, okay. it, it's, the, it's the tiniest amount of character development. 
Dips. development that we get. It's like that was basically they had no space to really develop the relationship between Joe, Nadine, and Larry, uh-huh. and that was the scene they cho- they chose. And it's not like a bad scene necessarily it's because not. it it just no. show like connection between Joe and Larry, which is the guitar, but. You're kind of a like you're using Nadine. Her whole relationship with Larry is reliant on the idea that he bonded with Joe, mm-hmm. and yes, that's not right. satisfying. You know no. what I mean? So no. it's yeah, like, but, is I there mean, supposed to be an attraction there? Because I don't feel it now. No, right? I, I, that's I why. Like I hate in that in the scene. You know, I think this is from a prior episode where they walk, like that, where they first meet and they're walking away from Joe, and it seems and she's like, "Well, you got to make a choice. Like, are you yeah. going to walk with us?" And it's like. I just fucking met you five minutes ago. <laughs> I know. Right, like, what right. Are, right. And like, they don't really, they've shown so much of Nadine as evil or, you know, unsure um, where her alliance is. But in the book, you get so much more of her goodness, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the, the, the making the choice. And, yeah. and this one, all I have seen is evil, like sexy. Right. Yeah. Cause even in that baseball Nadine. scene, she's kind of sitting there and she's like, I don't really like this baseball stadium too much. I'm not having a right. lot of good fun. <laughs> she's bored. So in hindsight, you know, hindsight's 2020, but like if I'm looking back, you cut the baseball scene. You give us a, you give us a pickup from the judge. Maybe it's a cool scene. It could be like an homage 28 days later, you know, but when they Mike, go to the like literally the baseball scene is the only development we get between Larry, but you Joe, could do that. You, but you could do that yeah. with them being in a more contained space, and then also throwing the judge in there. Throwing the judge, pick them up. Yeah, brought some hot dogs. Yeah. yeah, it'll be like the Dumb and Dumber, you know, Have when the they just judge keep picking up people and run them over. <laughs> you give me at least it's more serviceable to the actual overall arc than like baseball you know well if anything this has just shown me why in the ninth you know the earlier miniseries that they made rita and nadine's character the same is because they had to and now that i've seen what it looks like if you did include them both i'm like all right i get it like yeah this makes more sense that was sort of my big thing was i was like i was so excited they were including rita and then when i watched what they did with rita i said it's awful they should have just murdered but like right. Mick Garris had the right idea, you know. He did. Like, yeah. there's then, just not enough time. I feel like time. they were they were really insistent on making it Rita to the point that I think they lost focus of, of the reason to put Rita in there because what Larry's arc is really is his relationships with people and right. learning how to not be a taker. And like we say that like they could have cut the scene, but if they cut that scene and added another scene in, we easily could have been saying, "Oh, I wish I had more scenes with Joe." It's Sorry, true. Yeah. Like, sure, so, this and is, it's like we've just turned into hosts on Shutter now. Okay, great. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's like there's there's a puzzle and you've got four piece is missing and you put one piece in. Mm-hmm. You yep. still don't see the whole picture, but what piece do you choose? Yeah. You know? So I'm still I think we're going for that road trip over the uh, the baseball baseball uh, trip. But um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, anyway, let's 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 move on to um let's keep it let's keep it in the past a little bit because I, I, I want to talk about my boy Marsden and uh, my boy Kinnear because uh, a nice little pairing here. I like that we get um, basically them on the road trip together, like driving. And it's a glimpse. I mean, it is like a few seconds, but I like that they kind of talk about like Harold's uh, signs and they talk yeah. about how, um, oh, what do they call them? They I have it in my notes somewhere. But, uh, oh, an opt- he was, they were saying like Harold will be taking the optimal path. So they're yeah. basically blindly going where Harold is. And I, so I like that. And I, and I like that you get a little more character building. And I will say, you know, we talked about all of the, the, the science and religion aspects, but 
Yeah, man, Kinnear is like on full blast here. Like, I, I just love I do him too. talking about science religion. You were making fun of I what was, he was looking because, at. because, okay, because like they've, they've totally turned him into like the stoner, like cool, oh, yeah. older guy. And, and as a self-proclaimed stoner, oh, yeah. like you always got to <laughs> toke some up. some over yeah. here, right? Uh, you know, we're recording. Oh, I did not even. It's <laughs> no. a before bed pastime. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. As that, all right, as someone Red. who smokes weed, it's like they've shown him every scene was like him eating a snack or like him yeah. puffing on his vape or him in his like cool Burton beanie with his like side swiped mm-hmm. bangs and his cool like anthropology turtleneck. Like they just try like, although I do love him and I love his performance, whoever the fuck was dressing him Jay- just made him look so pretentious. Jay Peterman. He's, <laughs> he's, like, he's shot yeah, from the Jay Peterman I don't know if it's like the L.L. Bean or Eddie Bauer yeah. or what, but he's in this like dumb like sweater. All right. He's not dumb. He's it's, smart. Oh he's a smart character. There's and, an argument no, in our household. This is hey, I worked with Eddie Bauer when I was in high school. You so. did. There's nothing. One of my favorite dogs that I walk reps solely Eddie Bauer jacket. That is true. <laughs> Your dog has a more expensive leash than I have for any of my clothing. But I, I just the whole and like every time he like hit his vape, he's like, yeah, I gotta like gotta get. Stone. I like, was gonna say, I love that he's a vape guy. He yeah. loves to vape. He likes. Well, <laughs> I can't take the vaping seriously because of Tim Heidecker, because of On Cinema at the Cinema, where he pretty much destroyed the concept of vaping for he me. He just well, looks like a goober. Well, I'll just say that. I, cause like this, none of the way he speaks to Harold about mother Abigail is actually super interesting to me because it's, mm-hmm. it's, it is original. It's not in the book at all. Like yeah. the way he basically says, he's like, I know where you're struggling. Well, what I love first is he's like, I know the mistake you're making or whatever. And then, uh, Stu's he says like, the word, no. <laughs> yeah. And like Harold is chewing is, I have this in my dreamscapes for later, but just like, I just love the way that Harold chooses chocolate payday and he says the mistakes i'm making like he's like <laughs> it's like so mm-hmm. cocky i love it but then glenn yeah. glenn knows actually how to talk to him whereas Stu mm-hmm. and franny really don't and so Stu glenn's kind of engages him on sort of this intellectual level and he's like the reason you don't believe it we don't believe in god is because there's no proof and as somebody who is a former christian who is like sort of like really has like spent most of my life reckoning with like like christianity and things like that especially because my wife is christian is like the i yeah i I always kind of go back to this idea. It's like, well, what it all really comes down to is that there's no proof of God. But of course, the whole point of Christianity, that there's no proof in God, which is why it's all about faith. Right. Yes. And so but I love this whole concept where Greg Kinnear is basically saying he's like, like the concept of psychic is nothing more than a term. Maybe it'll turn out every word of the Bible was true. Having these dreams is sort of like the first sort of glimpse towards the like this inching towards this concept of like is there a god because we're we sort of have this little bit of proof in that we're all sharing the same dream about yep. this woman who claims to be this servant of god don't you and then he says don't you want to like follow the rabbit hole like, I don't love you want to keep there. following that yeah that's the only way that because i'm i'm not a religious person i i didn't grow up in a yeah. religious household but because, I mean, you should see me go down fucking Reddit rabbit holes most nights. Like, <laughs> this would be, like, a mystery that I couldn't live without solving. Especially at the end of the world, I'd be like, what do I have to lose? We're all having these dreams. There's no yeah. way I wouldn't be able to live without the answers yeah, be, to I'd that. I'd be taking Benadryl. But that's how, but that's how <laughs> yeah, Glenn yeah. reacts in the book as well, which is essentially yeah. that, yep. that, you know, I'm a science-minded guy, but I can't find any explanation for this. And so he basically says, I'm just going to put it all on white magic. And that's kind of the mm-hmm. phrase that 
he refers to is like, this is white magic because uh, he's like, I can't think of any other alternative to this. And Which I is think kind I, of a yeah. King's Dominion, isn't it? Because isn't that what uh, Pangborn calls? I mean, it's the yeah. white, yeah, is the phrase, yeah. 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 And so I do like that, but it, it's to me really fascinating. And I almost think that Glenn sort of succumbs to it a little bit too easy. But at the same time, I, I stopped myself whenever I felt that cynicism creep in. And I said, I don't know, man, if like, if it's it's a lot like how Harold thought that because him and Franny survive, well, that means that they're destined to chosen. be together. Yes. They're chosen. Right. And so I think that if I was still alive, you know, in the after the apocalypse and this woman who is claiming to be a servant of God is calling me to her, then I, I don't know. It's like I have I think rereading the book uh, through the lens of this series and also just where I'm at in my life right now, I can almost understand a lot of ways the 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 way that everybody sort of treats treats her like they do believe that she's the servant of God because what else do you believe in? I well, still right. think yeah. I still think in the I still think the book actually and we've talked about this on our previous episodes about the stand. I still think it veers too objectively Christian. Like uh-huh. uh there's moments later in the book where I think that like King is kind of pointing towards the idea that this really is sort of a Christian devil God sort of thing. But I think what I like so far about the world of this is that it is really remaining rooted in the individual perspective. And how do you reckon with the idea that you are an intellectual person who has survived this plague and this woman is drawing you to her dreams and you're sharing this with other people. It's like, what do you do with that? And I kind of like this, this perspective that Glenn has about, well, let's just follow it. Like, Let's see what it right. is. Yeah. He's yeah. the stoner. He's stoned. <laughs> he's stoned, too. He's super he's, stoned. He's stoned. <laughs> and he's so stoned. And the fact that he's making picture-perfect portraits of people he's never fucking met. And so thinking, that, this is normal. That would probably yeah. add a little bit to my conviction, uh, for sure. If I'm, like, sitting there being like, I got to write, I got to draw, I got to paint this thing. <laughs> And then all right. of a sudden, the asshole that I'm painting like shows up on my the fucking asshole. doorstep. I'd be like, "What the fuck? Like, like how the hell did this happen? Like, th- yeah. I would, I would probably, I would, I don't know if he'd be like a full believer. I'd probably be like, eh. what did I just smoke? I'm 98. Right, exactly. <laughs> you stop smoking. What yeah. did I you just know? smoke? Like, uh, yeah. What? what? Wait, what? I think the thing that bugs me the most about Glenn, and I love him, and I love Greg Kinnear, but the choice to make him young and hot, I think he's really kind of, <laughs> he's he stepping. Is. He's got into daddy sweaters on. Oh. All. Gosh. Hey, and like I am, it's well oh, documented that I love sweaters. Um, but like he's, <laughs> he's almost kind of stepping into Stu's role in yeah. a lot of ways. Like I find myself really drawn to him in a way, especially during the meetings, in a way that I was drawn to Stu in the the original miniseries and in the book. And I think it's just kind of blurring the lines a little bit, which I don't hate. It's just interesting. And if Stu hadn't had that one line or that one scene with Franny, I don't know if there was anything he really did in this episode. He- I agree. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. No, that's oh, true. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of what I was saying in my notes. It was like, I, I go, uh, where does it say? Oh, yeah. Marzen gets to be the charmer here, but he plays it low key. I like the yeah. way you read your notes. I did. I did. I'm, well, I'm just reading <laughs> like that. Fucking, it, like, read it like it's a Stephen variety King. article. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, all right. Um, well, either way, uh, I, I will say that I think Marsden, though, he, I like the fact that he is playing it low key because I think that. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest complaints we had going into this was the fact that, like, well, first off, we were bummed out that David Boreanaz wasn't uh, playing <laughs> Stu Redmond. But second off was the, sa- Too the fact that, with SEAL team. that they did go with someone as equally hunk- hunkier. Well, let's be honest. I love Boreanaz. You're great in Angel. I think you're really hot. James Marsden is hunkier. Mar- Marsden's yeah. hunkier. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, they, yeah. they went for the hotter guy. But yeah. we were worried about that. We were like, oh, God, this guy's too hot. Like, he's Cyclops, for Christ's sake. And yet <laughs> he's 
I, I buy him as Stu. I, I really do. do. And, I, and I think it's because like he doesn't have the answers, right? Like he right. doesn't come off like Gary Sinise where you watch Gary Sinise and you're like, Lieutenant Dan, he's going to lead us the right way. <laughs> he, uh-huh. We know what he's doing. I don't get that with him. I, no. Like even when in the me- meeting, in the ad hoc meeting, he's like, yeah, maybe I'll go. And it's just like he doesn't really have right. any reason. He's just doing it because he doesn't really because know what else the, to say. It's the varsity football jock that's like, I gotta go help him out, you know? Or like yeah. he's just like he's just like, I'll lend a hand because I, I honestly feel like his character doesn't feel like he might have all the right answers and stuff he like that. Doesn't. So, and I kind of like that about he's it. He's not thinking it through either because immediately they're like, um, they'll notice if you're yeah. gone. You they're know, like, it's uh, like, what are you thinking? You know, yeah, Pedal it back there, the, Jim Kelly. It's the hero complex. It's the, it's the, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Like, although I am from California, I'm from a very rural area of California and I grew up with a lot of stews. And <laughs> yeah. yep, I know a lot of boys like that and who would just, you know, they got to stick up for everybody without thinking, you know, of, of the consequences. Like and, I can throw a football mm-hmm. over the mountains. Like, exactly. Yeah. Just okay. like that. Tina, come get some dinner, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, and they dress just like him, like the flannels, I love the what stupid he's trucker I love, hat. I love the hat that he's got. It's gotten perfect. It's not, I mean, would I ever wear it? Would I ever want you to wear it? No, <laughs> but I believe Stu wearing it. Well, you let me wear my yep. Castle Rock hat. That's not too bad. But Every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So what do you think, Randall? You haven't really uh, chimed in on Stu yet. Yeah, Randall. I don't have a lot of thoughts on Stu. I think Stu's sort of like, I don't know. Like, I think he actually operates a lot like he does in the book where he's sort of like a a steady rock, you know? Mm. Like, for me, Stu doesn't really activate until uh, the third act of the book. Like, that's when he sort of starts to become, I don't know, like he becomes a more, I don't know, though. I take that back because, and I'm not going to spoil it, but I think that he he almost becomes sort of like, um, he becomes a focal point in a way that feels fresh, you know? Whereas Mm. I think for him, he is this grounded, he's almost like a nucleus for or the the Boulder Free Zone, where he is this mm-hmm. like, central thing in the center of it, and there's all these weird things that are whirling around him, and they're all a lot more interesting than him in a lot of ways. And so for me, it's like this. I, I like I like Stu, but for me, whenever he's in a scene with anybody, the only scene that he really came alive for me was the scene with him and um, and uh, Franny, because mm-hmm. I actually bought the creation of their relationship. I actually bought that she would be falling for him and that he would fall for her. But for me, that scene was even more so about uh, Fran than it yeah. was about him. I felt more for her in that scene. Um, he just listens. For the most yeah, part. he yeah. listens, which is, you know, honestly, she's been riding around with Harold, and I don't think he's a very good listener. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I well, think that. I love- yeah, so I can buy that relationship a lot more. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess for me, when it comes to, I guess when I'm thinking about characters, I appreciate the scene that we got with Nick and Tom mm-hmm. more. I mean, at the, because I feel like this is, at least so far, this is the most I've gotten to uh, get to know Nick at all. Even though we've yeah. seen him come, you know, we see him come, what, come into a bar, get the shit beat out of him by some guy, and then be in the hospital, and he helps take care of Ray. We talked about that last week. That's a good scene, but at the same time, he still doesn't feel like a human being. No. What right. I like about this episode is they actually do keep intact for the most part, um, the scene with him and Julie Laurie and Tom, which to me is a really integral scene. And yeah. uh, I mean, I almost wish they went further because in the book, 
Nick and Julie have sex. They do. And uh, uh-huh. and I, I'm just like, and I, but the thing is, I don't necessarily critique the show because at the same time, they would have had sex if Tom didn't walk up. So. I know. Right. But I do I love know. that they do get into the sexual relationship and they show Julie as somebody who is like, Jesus Christ, I've been so lonely. Mm-hmm. And even though that these are two people who clearly have different, like, senses of morality like you can tell that from moment one because the way she treats tom the way she treats him there are some things that bind everybody which is this sense of loneliness and that to me is depicted really well just in that scene between julie and nick and i love Mm -hmm. that and i love that they went there and that literally to me so far in these four episodes is the most real interpretation of pirates of the caribbean nick that i've gotten (laughs) in this entire show and i appreciate that and i also kind of love the way that they approach the you know i mean because in the book you have sort of the pepto-bismol kind of relationship going on and then uh the idea that she won't uh actually tell him nick's name and they actually Mm -hmm. take it a little bit further in this series which i actually think quite works and it is really sad but um Yeah, and it mostly plays out as it is, but the thing is, they're relying on this sort of, because we don't get much between Tom and Nick in the last episode, so basically, you know, we have this goodbye between Tom and Nick this episode, because Tom becomes one of the spies, and we see them say Mm -hmm. goodbye to each other, but we're supposed to kind of feel a lot of feelings about Tom and Nick separating, but the only real connection that we see between them is that they both kind of united when this woman turned on them and pulled a a gun on them, and they ran off together, and then they hid, and then they hugged each other, and it's a nice Mm -hmm moment and I like it but they are relying on that moment to do a lot of heavy lifting yes. especially with where the narrative goes which we'll, right. yeah, obviously we'll th- talk about later I, th- I yeah. think the moment works for me because, it does because I it's, definitely it's found myself like yeah. I, I, it does it is doing a lot of work and I think a lot of things for like a this... three minute segment too right. yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, very it's very quick Yeah, but I think and even though like I, I do like that I agree I agree with you Randall like I like that they stretch it on Although, like, it being very, like, offensive, the things that she says, it's not not what someone like her would say. Right. Like, you, it I makes mean, sense. God, yeah. I was walking a dog today, and I heard someone, like, say that Using word that you like don't that, use, yeah. you know, about yeah. someone. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, I don't think they were talking about a person. What but happened it was, to the dog? Jesus. Like. No, I just, you know, when you hear people talking, <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. I, okay. I just, and I'm, like, I'm God, here's McGillicuddy. I listen to everyone's conversations. I know you are. It's bad. <laughs> but, I mean, those, it's. Unfortunately, it was slang for such a long time, uh-huh. and although it's not really in the coda anymore, which is wonderful, someone like Julie would still use it to describe Absolutely. someone. Yeah, I, I, I really liked. I really like. I think even you know she like throws the f word around. Oh yeah, the, no, she gets the f I'm not comfortable saying. And, but I think it works for the character, uh-huh. and and that's why I don't really like when a show kind of pumps the brakes or doesn't show me pulls the punches. And stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because I think that's, what's real is unfortunately right. there are still people like that out in well, the world. Yeah. Well, it, it's real because here it goes back into what you're talking about. You know, it's like the loneliness It's the idea that like at the, at the end of the day, all we want is a connection, which is why people are going from either to Boulder or Vegas, D- despite what those choices entail. It all boils down to the fact that we're all looking for some sort of connection. Right. And with her, you have some, you have, you have, Two people that pretty much know where they want to go to, which is Tom and Nick. But then you have the person that's on the crossroads. And now, mm-hmm. obviously, the venom and the vitriol takes over with Julie here. And what I like about Catherine's performance is the fact that it it really comes from that sense of loneliness and how that loneliness will flip on the dime 
from mm-hmm. going from playfulness to almost like bitterness because it's like what is what's so wrong about what's me? Wrong with me? What's yes. wrong with right. me that I can't be part of your you know? That, especially it's like the and idea that what's wrong with me that someone that's handicapped you yeah. know it yep. doesn't pick me and absolutely I'm like, and that is the thought process there and I think you know earlier I was talking about like whoever dr- dressed Glenn I didn't like but the costume design for Julie I think is on point because <laughs> oh yeah you, you think I about, was thinking I would wear that dress exactly it's like okay so I'm a 27 year old girl I think world ends and I have free reign to go run around and do whatever. You're Wear that I'm fucking going hat. to Nordy's and I'm getting a sick ass dress and I'm getting uh-huh. some fucking Louboutins like and I'm running around and whatever I want to wear because mm-hmm. it's the end of the world and you can wear whatever you want. Every young girl would just run to the mall. Absolutely. And, um, you know, you talk mm-hmm. about loneliness. You think you're trying to fill something yeah. like that void. She thinks, you know, you know, at first, that's like what her costume design. I'm looking into it a little bit, but I, to me, it was like, okay, she's lonely. What is she trying to do to make these days worth it? That she's like a survivor. She's going to go pick out whatever she wants to wear yeah. at, fucking, at Macy's, you know? And so yeah. I loved that she's in this gaudy ass, like bougie dress and these like diamonds on her neck yeah. and this fluffy pink sweat. Like it was like a jacket, but I loved that costume design because there was, you know, thought put into it yeah. it felt like right. um, it felt true to her character exactly and i was yeah. a huge i'm i'm a really big uh i was really i love ya novels but i was really in the mortal instruments series and she's the star of shadow hunters which was on well it's freeform now but she played clary and so i've been watching her for a while yeah. oh nice so i was really excited to see her in this and to show that she has acting chops outside of you know like your regular, you know, young adult stuff. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think yeah. she shows that to me here. She's I mean, great. And, and it's a gasp. I, so. I mean, Jen, you were, you were saying, uh, sorry. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, like, there's that moment where she really says she's sorry. And mm-hmm. Nick yeah. does not hear her because he can't. And I was just thinking, like, she reminds me so much of Harold in that moment. In yes. that, like, I feel like they're they're different people, so her reaction is the same. But it's like there's this vulnerable moment where she really extends herself. And it's not reciprocated for reasons outside of his control. And she just snaps into anger. And that's such a good point, Jen, because like, I think about that a lot, which is the moments of clarity or like the moments of desire for like forgiveness are so brief Mm -hmm. for people. Mm -hmm. Like, and I'm not saying just like, like just Harold or just uh, Julie or just Nadine even it's like, I think for so many people, which is like, I think that the instinct to defend yourself and to sort of, uh, I don't know, cling to whatever it is that propelled you to do maybe the thing that you did to hurt someone, that Mm -hmm. moment that pops up where you say, maybe I shouldn't have done that is so brief because it's so vulnerable. And it's so like you can't make yourself that vulnerable for that long. And so if Mm -hmm. you make one small effort towards saying I'm sorry, and then it's not reciprocated, then you are just full-blown. It's like boomerang back to it. It's so human. And it also shows, I think, like the example that it's not black and white we are not inherently good or evil you know Mm -hmm. and julie is that character you know at least at first and i think harold is at times too nadine more so in the book but we constantly struggle with what's right and wrong we don't we aren't just not godlike creatures or satan you know it's like there are in betweens there are things that i am proud of that i've done and things that i'm maybe not so proud of that i've done but that doesn't (laughs) make me a bad person right, you know right, and so right. i think showing that is like a good example of showing that you know people can 
realize after they've done something that maybe that wasn't the right thing to say. Well, especially yeah. where it's coming from. Because, I mean, if you think about it, everyone's got their guard up. And not guard from Tommyknockers. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, they have their, their, their defense going up really high because, obviously, this is post-apocalyptic times. And for her, venom and vitriol is kind of her defense because it's, you know, you got to show, like, look, you know, I'm going to show that I'm not someone to fuck around with. Right. And I get that. I totally get that because there's certainly been situations, even just, you know, in pre-apocalyptic times, even though we're skatering, uh, skatering way towards <laughs> that uh, day by day, um, I find myself with, uh, uh, on the defense all the time, you know, and, and, I'll, and, and what, the, what does that entail sometimes, especially when you only have words? Well, I mean, you're going to say some of the worst things possible to get a reaction, mm-hmm. especially if, if, you know, it's easy, it's easy because <laughs> it's the easiest way to kind of. To, to, to kind of get at someone. And, right, and, you know, so it makes sense. I We're mean, naturally defensive people. I mean, fuck, we live together. There will be times when, like, Mike will even just be like, oh, the house is kind of messy right now. Just kind of saying it to himself. But my instinctual reaction is like, <laughs> well, I'll clean it up later. You know, it's, it's not like yeah. you just you want to immediately kind of make up for that, even if it's not directed towards you. I can't tell you how many times I've, you know, it's a joint effort to get the laundry built up. But if someone makes a comment about it, your first reaction is to defend yourself. <laughs> I know. Whenever I like walk in the room and I'm just like shrugging. Oh, a lot and of laundry. Like, and I'm like, I'm sorry. But it's not his fault. It's not. It's your immediate. Th- it's like, oh, they're shitting on me or they're, you know, saying something negative about me, even though it's not. It's just a statement. I will say. Yeah. Um, so we've 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 actually talked about the scene, I think, four times. The length of the actual scene, which is no. kind of interesting. Oh, and that goes to, but, it, but, but that's I, pretty on brand. But I think it is on brand. But I, I bring that up only because of what, what Randall was saying before. Is like, you know, this does do a lot of heavy lifting, but I think they mm-hmm. weld so much nuance in this little scene. I yeah, do, I do and, like it, and in a lot of other scenes in this this episode. So I, I do think that for for the most part, if we are still discussing ideas of structure and format, like I think the when they can get. The, when they could really strike the right tones and get the right beats and weld enough of the nuance and character in there, this can work. Yeah. I will say this episode was written by four writers. Oof. J- Jill it's Killington, <laughs> Owen King, Ben Cavell, and uh, uh, Eric Dickinson. So I, I will say maybe, look, in this case, maybe t- too many cooks makes a hell of a meal. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Should we move look, on to our next section? Yeah. So, well, we got one more. Do we want to talk about Dana anymore? I mean, we already, t- I feel like we already I don't talked. think there's, I think we can say I got that some for st- thoughts about episodes. Dana later. Oh, okay. But okay. we hadn't talked about Tom, though. Well, we do. Yeah. Do we want to talk about Tom? Because we really didn't get to talk too much about him. Well, that's the thing. Like, Tom is what makes that scene work for me. Yeah. As much as I love Nick and I love Julie, like, he is the glue that kind of holds that together and it gives it kind of like a comedic feel. And got his line deliveries for some of these for like a really tricky character to play. Like, I loved him. Like, just the, when he looks at Nick and he just says, the Nickster. Like, that's yeah. such I an endearing oh, moment. Nick. I have that in my dreamscapes. Oh, <laughs> I, my gosh. Well, that was what, what's the one that we always keep saying? It's like, like, it's a lot to remember. It's a lot to remember. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I wrote down several. We've it's, said it's, that. That has, like, become, I like, part it. of our daily lexicon. I love his fucking Dolly Parton shirt. Like, I mm-hmm. just think... And this is, like, an actor that I don't... Like, he's always played terrible people. And, you know, he's, like, a shithead in the office. He's awful in Split. But I've just... I mean, because this is such a... It's, it's, it's such a kind person. He's a and, I mean, and, and I think he's playing him 
as well as I could have asked for, yeah. Yeah. you know, someone who's not handicapped play a handicapped character. Yeah, there's an innocence here that yeah. really comes across. And it's certainly not only just in the scenes where, you know, it's Nick and Julie in that department store, uh, but also when he's being quizzed uh, or, you know, interviewed by the ad yeah. hoc committee and his responses are so real and like when he gets excited about the like team from back home. Yeah. yeah like it's I so love cute. it. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. Like he really wins me over here. And I, and that's partly why I think I'm not so much sad at the end that him and Nick are leaving, but just for what he's being fated to do, you know, I, I think, yeah. it, I think that's where I'm, the emotions are coming in for me because I don't want anything bad to happen to him. And I think that's kind of where, I start realizing like this episode really hammers down the fact that like you're starting to care about these characters in ways I wasn't able to before because everything was happening so manically, you know, mm-hmm. well, at least beyond, you know, obviously Franny and Harold and all, but because I think from there we, we pretty much have enough love there. But uh, yeah. So for me, that, that was kind of where I'm at with him. I, I really loved his performance and I thought that Brad William Henke does a fantastic job and, it also helps that that shot where he's leaving is just yeah. gorgeous. And th- that they're mar- wearing matching coats. I know. I that's my favorite. That I moment. want that jacket, too. Yeah, it looks well, like it reminds me of the Kelso jacket from that 70s yes. show. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think, like, the choice to not have him hypnotized, and I know that when we talk to um, not Henry Cavell, Ben Cavell, yeah. um, <laughs> we, um, he made a point to say they chose not to hypnotize him. Hypnot- and I, I really <laughs> like that choice. Yeah. I've got like Randall's hiccups now because there's an element of consent there that is not in the book or the miniseries. And it feels like, like you couldn't do it now, hypnotizing Mm-mm. him, because he's making the choice to go. The thing that I don't like is that I really wish Nick had been the one to suggest him. Yeah. Because I feel like that, it, I don't know why that just hit me wrong that it was other people. Glenn, yeah. Yeah, yeah Glenn's under the wrong suggested. pretenses, you know? Like, right. Because Glenn doesn't know him the way that Nick knows him. Right. And, even and like, there's Nick the reaction. The, yes. Yeah. Like, Nick says, you know, like, you don't know him like I, you know, you'll he'll surprise you is what he ends right. up saying. And if that had come from him, you know, from the get-go, I think that would have hit a little bit harder. I think so, too. Um, yeah. yeah. But I like the the how... Tom saves him and it's kind of like an echo of the tornado scene in the book which yes. is one of my yes. favorite yeah. parts of the book because he's able to hear the shotgun mm-hmm. or like Julie about to shoot him and so he saves Nick and I think that's what he's alluding to when he says Tom will surprise you. Surpri- yeah. 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 But, and honestly, yeah. What, oh God, I totally forgot about that tornado scene. That would have been great. I know. I love that scene. It wouldn't have that's, happened. That's but, one of those things that you don't necessarily need but it's just like the sauce that makes yeah. everything so good. Well, it kind of it kind of recalls it, like it's almost like feels like a callback back to um the the standpipe in the shining where mm-hmm. it doesn't explicitly state the energy or darkness that's mm-hmm. there but it you know it but kind of infers there, yeah. but look i would say for me that darkness that tornado would certainly be a nightmare to live through <laughs> <laughs> and one that would make me search for a dreamscape which leads me to our next category nightmares and dreamscapes if you think your dreams are disturbing, <laughs> imagine the nightmares of Stephen King. What are you, some sort of a horror movie guy? No, Clyde, I'm a literary guy. Welcome to Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Hell of the a seg- segue. Hegway, <laughs> hell of a segue that I... I I'm so I, good you at know, it. Look, we, we, we do what we can. 
This is where we talk about what we loved and what we uh, didn't love. Uh, and let's start with the, the nightmares, as we as we as we're want to do, because we've praised a lot of we've praised a lot about this episode, and there are certainly some things I think we probably can criticize. For me, starting out, I, I, Judge Ferris. Just, yeah, I think that was my me, number that's, one. That's my number one nightmare here. Really needed more. Just something, as we've already discussed. Randall, what about you? What, what, what yeah, other... I mean, honestly, that was my number one. I think this is a pretty solid episode overall. I mean, I think that there's like, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a herky jerky quality to some of it at times. But my number one issue was was the judge, because there's really no excuse for not making any effort to set up that character at all. I yeah. mean, like I actually because I, I quite liked this section where they, you know, we haven't really talked much about it. But like this, you know, where they actually speak in front of the Boulder Free Zone, like yeah. we get the five characters and I, I have another uh, bit in my dreamscape section that is related to that scene. But I will say like, there's an opportunity in that scene to do yeah. something with the judge. Like it's, it, it really wouldn't have been that hard to set her up just the slightest amount. And I will say another nightmare for me is just the fact that uh, there was r- very, very little engagement with Randall flag mm-hmm. or Vegas. I mean, they talk about, I don't know. And this is something I struggle with just in general at the stand, because it's like this in the book too, where it's it like, is in the book, yeah. they know that they know that the dark man is their adversary, but they don't all they have to go. Like, honestly, this series does more than the book does in mm-hmm. setting up the adversary because they actually have this guy show up who has been crucified and mm-hmm. he survived and he came to talk to him and the book, it's just visions. It's just mother Abigail's word and visions that depict to them the dangers that lie out West. And that to me is always kind of hung a little bit, you know, because it's like, why hate something that you have no concept of? So at least having this person show up and say, I'm coming for you, mother, you know, like in person, uh, at least activates it a little bit more. So I think like just the way that they kind of, but even in this episode, the way they broadly talk about it and the way Glenn is like the darkest man or something, like he barely, (laughs) like he doesn't even, like he kind of talks about it as almost like a joke. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and to me, I'm just kind of like, you're not really setting up the threat here. So, right. yeah. yeah. Jen, yeah. what about you? What's a nightmare? Well, I had the judge and the thing about Nick not suggesting Tom, but my big gripe is they're doing basically nothing with Nadine's yeah. personality. It yeah. just drives me crazy. I love her scene with Harold for Harold's arc. Yeah. But I it's it's like there is no choice there. Speaking of consent, she is just like the she is a pawn in this game. And like Mike, you've talked about how that bugged you in the book and it, it kind of yeah. made me really reevaluate it. And I think it is a little bit problematic in the book but it's like way worse here because i just feel like they're not doing it they're not making her a character that has any kind of choice it's because it's almost as if like she had agreed upon all this from the get-go when she got the stone as a kid and it i don't know it just seems first off it's not interesting to me you know like because she makes a choice too yeah you know and that's the whole thing is it's not from she doesn't make the choice as a kid she fights it off Mm -hmm. Uh and she's fighting it off for the majority of the book and Mm -hmm. and i so yeah i totally agree with you jen it's it's (laughs) crazy too when you really think about like when you're comparing the two portrayals of nadine especially in like the 1994 miniseries 
And for as little as we get in that miniseries, God, we get so much more than what we're getting right now because right. there's so there's so much depth to her struggle in that. And I think a lot of it just goes down to um, Laura San Giacomo's performance because <laughs> she really does struggle with it. Like you, she wears the struggle. And right. you don't get right. that like the gray, yeah, you, like yeah, exactly. The gray That's what I was just hair. about to say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she quite literally wears it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But well, even then, it's, it's her makes... body language too. You know. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then when the turn happens, like there's like a hubris there mm-hmm. because she made a choice, and now it's just like she's just set up. For this role. Well, know? that's why I, I, that one of my favorite shots in the 94 miniseries is when she's like in the elevator and she's just fucking devoid of life. And she's right. just like, we're in. And hell. there's no arc towards that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the thing I love, the, the thing I buy about that though is that I do under, I do get the sense that she relented and that she just found herself like just falling forward yeah. into this depth of right. hell. And here it's like, it's like when you, <laughs> it's like when you used to get like new episodes of Power Rangers and like, <laughs> Yeah, just like that. Yeah, didn't didn't exactly. expect that one. It's just but, like, like that. It's just like, but As it, I but was just, watching him, I'm like, where where are we going? But with like, this? you know, you have like, you know, you'd get like, it, it's like you never really got any build up to any of the villains in Power Rangers. It was just, mostly because they had to use B roll footage of fucking things that happened shot in like you know overseas, you know, ten or fifteen years beforehand. So they would really just be like, all right, who do we got this 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 week? All right, we, this footage. All right, we'll just throw we'll throw them in, and that's kind of how I feel with Nadine. It's like. Who do we need as a villain? Well, there she is. Right. Like she's, there she is. She pops up. Yep. There's no real skirt. struggle. There's none, I mean, even though they try to imply it, that like, like even the sense like when she's, when they're like in the, the assembly hall and it's like, let's, you know, give a round for our teachers. She's just like, um, I, it's that like, was what? my problem with it. Yeah. She gets up like all awkwardly. It's and like, it's like me. It's like, yeah, yeah just stand up like a normal person. It's like, just, exactly. It's, Don't you know I'm the evil teacher though? Exactly. exactly. It's like and that's, that is one, like, that's my problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If, yeah, I mean, cause it, is that I'm, your nightmare? I'm the next on the to- on the yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. and that's my nightmare. Is like I mean I do agree with you, Jen. I like that scene for Harold, but the um that like you know sexy scene for Nadine for me is like it's like a middle schooler's idea of what sexy is. You know, she's got like right. the the kind of button down business shirt and like the you know the high stockings and like she walks mm-hmm. around like all like you know she's trying to be mysterious. It's like this isn't. There's nothing, I don't even know you really. And I've not right. really seen you make this choice or kind of your your path to this decision. And all of a sudden you're at Harold's house and you're hiding out. And he's like, I hate when she's like, hey. And it like scares us. It's just like, <laughs> right. it's just so bad. And like, although I, I know this was always my thing. When we watched the miniseries, the original miniseries, I was like, God, it feels like a Red Shoe Diaries Well, episode. it also feels like a Red Shoe Diaries. You get, you get our boy uh, W.G. Snuffy Walden just like. But like it works for me it's not but this one feels like red shoe diaries but it's like bad like cinemax when you fell asleep and then you woke up and you're like no, what this am feels I like an episode like, of like touched by an angel when like you get like more of the sinful characters or, yeah and it's like, it's like daytime tv that yes. my grandma used to watch where it's yeah. like oh what did the maid do in this episode you know and that's like how she feels she's just not there's nothing there for me and i mm. try to separate because i i I loved this character in the book solely for the dimension to her, the idea mm-hmm. that she's, you know, kind of given this, like it's a prophecy that she yeah. is the one and she gets to make that choice. And for this, it's just, it's, 
it just doesn't do it for me. And I have tried so hard to, it has nothing to do with Amber Heard. It has nothing to do with my feelings towards her. And it has everything to do with just how they have written this character. Um, I and, think it has yeah. something to do with Amber yeah, Heard. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I try to be unbiased because I'm trying to look at this as like a critical, you know, like how I'm just, you know, everything she's aside. Not You're not great. alone because we've, we've talked it's about this hard. in the last episode. It's really hard. I'm not a fan of her. Well, so she's just hard, not, but, well, yeah. I, yeah. And they, but the thing is like, and I'm, I'm play devil's advocate. Uh, hey, no pun intended over here because we're talking yeah, about the devil. Piano but, over um, here. I, I, you know, uh, <laughs> would you listen to me? Actually, I would be more Pacino, but I would <laughs> yes, say that she doesn't really get much. And, no. and a lot of it is stuff that we've outlined over the past few episodes, even in this one, you know, the fact that, you know, it's pretty emblematic <laughs> That we totally missed her in Mars and Scars. Like, I mean, there's nothing to talk about. Exactly. And that's the problem. But let me say this I have a counterpoint, which is one of my dreamscapes is actually a Nadine moment. Oh. Uh, And I say this as somebody who is not a fan of this depiction of Nadine at all. But I will say that I kind of liked that after he sort of, you know, prematurely uh, finishes when she's riding on him a little bit. <laughs> she actually is just cool with it. Like, you know, yeah, I kind of like, like it's okay. she goes, that's okay. Like actually th- that delivery don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about it. Like no. that delivery to me is the most human she's been this entire series. Yeah. And, uh, and maybe that does speak to the idea that maybe she does better. I'm not, I'm just not a huge Amber Heard fan, but I yeah. also haven't seen her in a lot of stuff. So it's like, I actually liked that moment, that one moment quite a bit because it also makes sense for the character of Harold, who is a virgin and not just like, like she's a virgin, but she's also like probably made out with a lot of hot dudes. She's right. a little bit more than what Harold's done. Yeah, He's like, like a Harold virgin, is, virgin. Harold is yeah. literally a 16 year old boy who has never really been with anybody. Exactly. And is I can't tell you how many quote yeah. unquote virgins, you know, like, right. I've known. Yeah. And, well, so, and that moment is, it's like, a counterpoint to that you okay Harold we good Harold you know yeah. it's like somebody checking in with him yeah I did like that moment a lot too. yeah I like that I moment that that worked for me and so uh yeah so I think that moment was in my dreamscapes it's your dreamscapes and, and I'll also dream? say that just I have I have a couple others but I'll just do one now and then I'll pass it over but uh I liked much better than Molly Ringwald singing the national anthem. Yes. Uh, I liked Larry so just good. playing it on guitar. He's fucking yes. killing it. Because it's very Hendrix. Because yes. this is something that I thought was really cool and earned about that moment is that like it plays into the fact that they got electricity. Because here's a guy that they've really only been able to hear on acoustic guitar. And there's a big difference between you know a guitarist that's on an acoustic guitar and someone who gets to you know bash out some six string on yeah. uh, electric guitar. I mean, it is like... Like, it's so different. <laughs> like, let's give it some rock and roll. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, dumb. no, I, I, I actually really do like that moment. But Jen, what's another dream for you? Well, God, the zoo, man. I have yeah. been dying to watch yes. the scene. I talked about this in one of our Patreon episodes where we were talking about our favorite, like the word processor of the God's greatest hits. Because I think if I'm looking at passages from the book, that is my favorite passage I in agree. the entire totally, book. Totally, Jen. It's so good. And, and I don't know if it's like because I love true crime and like the macabre so much or because yeah. we're women, but that scene in particular was my favorite uh, while reading. So good. And here's the reason that I think I like it because I've been thinking about it all day and I cried both times when I watched it because I have said a lot of times if the apocalypse ever happens I'm gonna shave my head and I'm gonna like Arya Furiosa. Stark yeah 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 <laughs> and I'm gonna because there are people like this and what I love about this scene 
is this is like the people in society that are protected by all of the rules that we create, by like the sheen that we put on this misogyny and this really like predatory behavior. And we've created these rules and laws to protect ourselves from them. And they're able to hide in those. And this strips everything away. And it's really laid bare. And I think even more so in the book, he says it. He's like, now it's time for the alphas. Like I'm yep. taking away yep. all the yep. laws we break. And I love it because the catharsis, because there's also what it strips away is all the bullshit coding we have to do to talk about this as women. And like, I can just like, she just bashes him in the fucking head. Yep. She doesn't have to like make a well-reasoned argument or like say it nicely so that she doesn't piss all the other guys off, you know? Oh, I just turned into host again. Yep. But it's just, I love it. <laughs> but it's I so love it too fucking because cathartic and that scream is yeah. just, well, I wish we had the scream longer. But, yes. Yeah. Well, Mike and I always, whenever Mike and I are watching horror movies and there's a final girl and they don't like finish them off we will sit there and be like just finish them just yeah. keep right. going keep chop going. his legs off and she keeps yeah. going and i'm sorry but like if mm-hmm. you have been through the trauma that that character has gone through you will keep mashing and smashing until that motherfucker's head is busted in right and I, mm-hmm. and i love that she just keeps going for it i feel like uh yeah. anyone else feel like there was uh kind of like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre homage going on because, like, the way it was shot, like, it's with like, the sun um, coming down. Yeah, exactly. You can almost mm-hmm. feel... I, when we were watching it last night, I, because I grow up, grew up somewhere where it's eternally summer, essentially, like, I could <laughs> almost feel, like... Because, you know, that time around, like, 4 or 5 o'clock when the sun should be down during summer, but it's not down yeah. all the way. Mm-hmm. It was almost like Friday Night Lights kind yeah. of looking, <laughs> yeah. where you could almost feel like the fireflies well, were supposed closely, to come out. Well, if you look you could see Jason <laughs> oh, Street God. just, like, uh, yeah. sitting there being like... <laughs> Jesus. You're like, oh, get Christ. him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. no. Chris Victorious was supposed to play Chris, that night. Yeah, yeah. There, you know, if you look at the tapes that are in uh, Glenn's car, gracious. they had Chris Victorious oh, there. Um, I, I, I'm going to go with. Uh, for a dreamscape for me, I, actually, do you want to do you want to go uh, take this, or did you did you also have the zoo? I mean, yeah, I was told the zoo, and then we have already kind of touched on it. But as far as cinematography goes, this episode, I feel that um, the directing was really beautiful and the oh, editing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Mike had already brought it up, but one of our favorite scenes was is the scene when Tom is leaving, and you actually get like some scope of yeah. land. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. like a studio. It feels like they were on location. Also, the music that plays, um, it's the score during that time. It's beautiful. It feels... Pure, perfectly curated for the moment and I actually like didn't want it to end like the whole time I was like wow this is actually really really beautifully done yeah and mm-hmm. the overhead shot of like it looks like Utah I don't know where they're at I think it's somewhere it's like in Vancouver. that yeah. well, they're filming in Vancouver but it's I imagine they're well. They're leaving Virginia because it's outside Virginia when they're doing the. the it's the super zoo. flat, but it looks. It's just. It's beautiful, yeah. and it actually looks like someone took the time to put effort into the shot. Well, they did because those directors are Danielle Crudy and Bridget Savage Cole. So two directors mm. on this one. I was so. gonna say I can't believe job. Josh Boone no. didn't get like a national song in there. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I always make fun. I'm, every time we watch a new episode, I'm like, I bet these are like his favorite songs. You can always feel that he loves like his Spotify playlist. But to your but to your point, Sammy, like I I do think tonally, this episode is is just so whole and so like it's it's all together, you know. And you know, from even the needle drops, like I, I actually really like the use of Johnny Cash's "Don't Bring Your Guns it. to Town" yeah. in the yeah, beginning. Yeah. Me too. I love the use of like 
like give me a little sign by Brenton Wood to close things out in the credits. I like the, the score. One of my favorite, my dreamscape personally is like Franny's journaling with the piano and like her voiceover because I think that it's so gorgeous. It lulls you into like her meditative state in a way that allows you to kind of get to their headspace of where pretty much everyone is in right now. It's just where everyone's kind of meditating on, you know, where they've come, where they are, and now where they're going to go. And so it's really is a good and strong crossover, a crossroads episode in that respect. And, um, and it, you know, we've talked a lot about the needle drops being a little, little over the place. And, you know, we just mentioned like Josh Boone's Spotify <laughs> playlist. And I think that's a lot of it where it comes from, but I didn't get that here. I, I got, I think that at this point in the, in the show, I'm really understanding like the tone a little bit more. It's a little bit more leaning on Motown and soul. It's, it's got that sort of, um, not old school Americana, but like maybe seventies rustic Americana. And I like it. So mm-hmm. I have one last dreamscape before we move on. Yeah. And we mentioned it earlier, but I just think it's a really funny, smart, modern thing, which was having Teddy Wyzak ask if the rock is still alive. I love <laughs> that. Yes. Yes. Okay. Please. So thank funny. you. I almost forgot to bring that up, Randall. So <laughs> I was growing up, I was a huge WWF fan. My dad and I were, you know, very into it. And for my seventh birthday, I got tickets in Arco Arena because I'm from Sacramento to go see them. Yeah. And I, because my the town that I'm from is called Rockland, and I was seven years old. And I made a, a sign with paint that said "The Rock has come to Rockland," and I was like <laughs> in the stadium. I just I love The Rock, and I, the fact that he fucking got skyscraper out of all <laughs> of The Rock, like where he's like, oh yeah, she brought back like a thing of DVDs and Blu-rays, <laughs> and that's the one that he picks out. I was like, come on, even Jumanji. Is is better than skyscraper. <laughs> oh yeah, but I love hey, that Campbell's scene. In skyscraper though, it's just not good. And but like I just loved that that was like it's the end of the world, and you're like I gotta I gotta get my you know my, my, my hard copy DVDs. I need my skyscraper. <laughs> I love that choice. <laughs> on that note, it is kind of sad when you really think about that we haven't actually been able to see like his driving fully realized because he dies. I know yeah. it's a bummer. You know? I'll say this before we move on. I'll say that I also I got on TV when I was uh, young with a sign I made at a wrestling show, (laughs) Uh, but it wasn't for The Rock. It was for another wrestler named Kurt Angle. And my buddies and I did like one of those signs where it was like one letter to each sign and it spelled something out like over like seven signs. And (laughs) I was very proud of it. And we got on TV on WWE SmackDown and probably like, God, 1999 or so. And man, uh, yeah, warm, warm feelings when I remember that. Best feeling. Yeah. I mean, that was my, I'm not into it anymore but growing up my dad and I were very into wrestling (laughs) and so just any type of I was just you know you smell what the rock is cooking hey I smell (laughs) what the rock is cooking but I gotta talk about one of my other favorite wrestlers which is the Undertaker and you know where he hangs out in love the Undertaker (laughs) he hangs out in the cemetery what's the bottom of the truth well sometimes that is better the person you put up there ain't the person that comes back it may look like that person, but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all. I think that was your best segue to date. Okay. <laughs> Not too bad, right? Actually, and I'm lying because oh, yeah. I, I, I don't really feel anything for The Undertaker. I feel for my boy, Bret Hart. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> my brother carried a flag for Sid Justice on a pay-per-view one time. Oh, oh man. wow. 
Yeah. yeah he I, had an American flag hat on, and they were like, Don't hey, look at you. his Twitter profile. <laughs> I know. I wouldn't look at most wrestlers from the 80s and 90s Twitter profiles. Uh, you might say they're a nightmare or kind of scary. Uh, or yeah. might give you the or, shivers. Or in the cemetery, God. maybe. Yeah. yeah. Some, you know, something like that, because there are some ghouls in here. So Let's dumb. talk about what scared us in this episode, because I think there are a bunch of really frightening moments. Uh, obviously, the centerpiece with the zoo. Uh, Sammy, what about you? What what, what, what scared you in this episode? Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's definitely... (laughs) That's my biggest fear of the end of the world, essentially, is I am a 5'3", small woman, and I know I'm not very strong. That is, like... And first of all, like, yes, that's what would happen. But there are there are people like that even before the laws are all broken, before the end of the world. Um, And... Like I said, I'm very into true crime, so I, I spend a lot of time reading up on that. Mostly just to, I sometimes feel like I learn something, usually. Um, but, yeah, I just, the the scene where he, like, opens the truck up and the light kind of, like, first goes in on mm-hmm. Dana. And I believe her name is Susan in the book. Or is it, the other girl's name is Susan, I think. I think it is Susan, but um, I don't know if, yeah, I don't know. If, um, wait, the zoo? It's Sue Stern. Sue Stern. Yeah, but yeah. Sue Stern. Okay. Yeah. They name her on IMDb, but they don't really, obviously, like, because she dies so quickly, they don't really go into yeah, it. Yeah, she doesn't die in the book, but, yeah, no, they yeah, kind she's of part just of the cut that Even in the miniseries, they cast her, and she dies in the explosion in the yeah. 90s miniseries. Yeah. Mick Garris's wife. Yeah. Oh, yeah. really? <laughs> babe. She's yeah, beautiful. She, yeah. she would return later uh, as Mrs. Massey in Whoa. the 1997 Shining miniseries. Thank you for that. <laughs> no shit. Thanks for that six degrees of Stephen King. <laughs> but yeah, I just, that scene where like he first opens it up and you can tell that they've been in darkness yeah. and they mm-hmm. haven't seen the sun. Um, and it's just left to your, obviously because I've read the book, I know what goes down, but even if you haven't, it's left to your imagination really of yeah. what these two women have gone through. And that to me is just absolutely terrifying. You can tell that they've been probably in the same clothes that they wore when he found them. They look dirty and unwashed. And to me, that's just absolutely the scariest thing because that can happen even when it's not the end of the yeah. world. So, it can. And it um, does. And it does. So, you know, it's, it's essentially like sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. And again, when we had talked about it earlier, when Franny says that, are you okay, Harold? To me, it wasn't so scary as much as it is just very relatable yeah. in that moment mm-hmm. where I can't tell you how many times with you know, men in high school or, you know, where you have to kind of just make sure that you didn't step on any toes to get yourself hurt or sometimes worse. And Mm -hmm. so I think that this episode specifically for women who watch it will hit really hard because of those moments, because like I said, doesn't matter what age you are, you've typically experienced something like that, um, unfortunately. So those were the scariest moments to me, even in, you know, a show that is about a super flu in the end of the world. It's the, you know, like that famous quote like that Stephen King has that sometimes the monsters are, are people. Yeah. I'm yeah. butchering it, but that's mm-hmm. what it is, you know, yeah. and, and this is kind of one of the first episodes that I think showcases that the monsters aren't Randall Flagg. They're not the devil. They're not Satan. It's the people that are your neighbors sometimes. It's Garvey. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <Right>. exactly. Really <laughs> scary name they gave him. I know, no, I like um, it's a, it's a, Well, because it's, a it's really just review, revealing more of who we are underneath. Yeah. Yes. Which I is, mean, the, the point of the entire book is like, this is who we are when we don't have any reason laws. to Laws, yeah. It's medieval times, essentially. It's the whole reason religion was made up, yeah. you know, um, yeah. is to keep people in check and in line and what happens when there's nothing there to keep you in check. Um, right, Jen. So. What what uh what scared you? 
Well, okay, this is another moment from the zoo, but when he is attacking Harold, that yes. really, uh-huh. like, the look on his face and, like, this this realization you can see in his face that he is powerless. And he stands up and he apologizes, which is another thing. I mean, oh. they kind of, like, code him feminine in that yeah. moment. But that's another thing that I've done. Like, oh, I'm sorry I tried to have any kind of power here. That's and, like, mine, just, too, yeah. Oh, my God. And it's just, okay, and the other thing that I love about that, because I think it informs so much of Harold, is when he... He is just like in the fetal position when his bat, mm-hmm. when Garvey's back is turned and he could get up and do something and he doesn't. And then Stu comes over and Stu is the face that he sees. And I just imagine that's where the come, that's where the hate comes yep. from because yep. Stu sees him in this moment. Like he had this, this ability or this opportunity to be the man he thought he was. And Stu knows that he's not and yep. that he never is going to forget that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh. It's shame. It's yeah. shame that yeah. you weren't able to live up to this idea, idea that you had of yourself. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing. It's not anybody else's idea of what he should be because it's that himself. is a totally yes. understandable response. Like I probably would do the same thing, but he has built this up in himself. Like I'm a big man. And I think in the miniseries, like they show him wearing all the, like the yeah. guns yeah. and the, the yeah. studs, the you know, and I think I just kind of carry that over, but like he, that's what he thinks he should be. And this is the reality that he's not. And that Stu knows. Right. Randall, what was scary for you? Well, for me, it's exactly what Jen was saying. It's, it's, it's Harold. It's like this, the whole zoo for me is sort of the centerpiece of, in terms of anything that's really scary in this episode. I don't think it's a particularly scary episode, but the whole zoo thing is so well shot and well conceived that, uh, there's a, you know, Sammy captured a lot of the horror of it. And then Jen also just touched on Harold's sort of response to it, which I think is scary in part because it's relatable in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. I yeah. think a lot of us would react similarly, but I think oh, Owen Teague again, blows, oh, God. I know that's my thing is I gotta just, I think I've done it every episode but i gotta ride for owen teague a little bit because man the way he sells the panic yes. of that uh-huh. moment when he actually does try to fight back and he fails and then he's like i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry i wrote i'm sorry in my notes like in all caps because i'm just kind of like the way he says it is so it's so pathetic yeah. in a way that is really resonant but i love what you said jen about the concept of him like his hatred from Stu stems from the fact that Stu could be the hero in that moment that he couldn't be uh-huh. and uh but there's also i think a lot of like I don't know, terror and that sort of thing, which is the idea that you could be so weak in a moment like that when these women, you're literally witnessing these women and including one woman you really care about being abused and you literally can do, you know, like you are curling up in the fetal fetal position on the ground. It's such an act of humiliation, you know? Mm -hmm. There's really no coming back from that in a lot of ways. And I do love that they really do depict that because this whole sequence is not in the 94 miniseries. And uh, I do think it is actually a very important one on the journey towards Boulder. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think this actual this sequence was actually really really well done and I like that the way that I like the way too that they allowed it as a means to um to showcase Dana as a formidable force, yes. you know, yes. because and, and, they yeah, they do need to earn that for her to be one of the spies. And so. because we know that you know, all the the principals are going to survive. They still yeah. up the stakes by showing just how visceral it is. Like when you know when Sue's head gets blown off, like that's jarring. It's, yeah, it's yes. bad. It's it's probably it, I like gasped. Yeah, <laughs> I did too. Yeah. It's that moment in the convenience store when he sneezes and yes. shoots the woman. It's, yeah, the, the the head explosions have been pretty great in this. Uh, this thing, so, <laughs> you know. The violence. Kudos to you. Yeah. Maybe they got robotten. But uh, anyway, <laughs> let's go uh, out of the cemetery into a place that is a little familiar. Lots of Easter eggs and plenty 
of Steven <laughs> in a place we call King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. Plenty of Steven. Plenty of Steven. Even Steven. Uh, well, hey, there is plenty of Steven because we get might, might, what might be the laziest King's Dominion it's since so the funny. Dark Tower. It's the worst. It is laughably I, bad Photoshop. When we first watched this episode, oh yeah, I fell asleep. Mike was falling asleep, and I like I shouted. I was like, "Wake up, wake up!" You go, and I, just and I go, "Jesus it. Christ!" And I keep joking that like there's this. Um, God, I, and I, I hate having to explain a meme because it's the worst. No one sounds stupider than having to explain a meme. <laughs> but there's this meme that's like graphic design is my passion. It's like in papyrus font. And it has this like dumb little frog on the side. And it's for you use it when like you see a piece of graphic design that is just terrible. And every time because we've watched the episode twice. And after that scene, I was just like, oh, yes, graphic design is my passion because it's just this fucking huge Bulbous head, head put onto and it's like zoomed in where it's like did you see it it's yeah. almost like they're the director is like trying to be like hey guys did you see that hey i just right. want to make sure that you guys saw that and it's like oh no like, we fucking I can't saw imagine it. anybody listening to this episode did not notice this <laughs> yes. no, right. but it not is like a, a poster it. for hemingford home like <laughs> retirement home in boulder which i still think is kind of a clever way to it sort is. of streamline yes, the narrative I do too. yeah but at the same time I'm like, yeah, Stephen King is at a table with a bunch of old people and his head is like three times bigger than everybody else. Whoever made that, I just, I'd love to just chat with them just to it know, so like, funny. I'm so sorry, but what, did you not have a, a lot of time? What, what happened? Well, the big <laughs> question with that is, is that the Stephen King cameo? That's what Mike said. Uh, I think that's it. I, it's got to be it. Yeah. I, if that's it, why even bring it up? Why even talk well, about it's, it? It's <laughs> funny because it's like, all right, let's say that they did get the poster right. And it's pretty good. And it looks like him. Not bad. You know, it's kind of fun. It gets to poke fun with like the idea that sure. something, it would be a joke that he would do. And yeah. so I, I like that. But at the same time, like. Yeah, it's it's the big head, and also I get that they're trying to zoom in on the poster because it's trying to show that it's Hemingford home, and you know Nick and Tom are looking at it, but it also doubles as like, yeah, as the wink that you were saying before. Right. And they could have used the picture of him from the '80s where he's got that big crow on his shoulder, you know, and even him as like the original Tommy Wyzak, you know, it'd be like anything (laughs) other than what we got. It looks like someone just like was on his Twitter and was like, okay, let me look for like a photo he posted. Right, Maybe right. one with Molly. I don't know. And and then they just like took it and cropped it. <laughs> yeah. I would have liked That's- it more if it was like you had the poster of having her home and then beside it, it was like missing dog. And it was like Molly. Like, <laughs> yeah. You had the yes. Molly. The I was going to no. say, I wish Molly played Cujo. Me that too. Be, yeah. Me yeah. too. Or not Cujo, Kojak. 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 <laughs> well, we, as we stated and before. And the dog playing Kojak can be Cujo. Exactly. There we go. Yeah. Well, the only other one that I noticed was someone says Mr. Epping. As in Jake Epping from uh, no, 1122. Right? I hate to break it to you, Mike, but they say Mr. Impening, which is the name from the book. Oh, is that it really? You're thinking oh, about the meeting where Larry takes over. Yes, gone done fucked I, up. I, 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 I thought it was Epping. Oh, well. He called and he was like, Epping? 
11, 22, 63. You know, I thought, hey, but did anyone else notice any other Kings Dominion in this one? No, I, that was the only other one I would notice, but we already kind of mentioned it. It's not even really Kings Dominion. It's more of just kind of a thing from the book, which is that you actually do see, because two episodes ago, we see the scene where Larry approaches Harold and gives him the bag uh, of like gifts and basically says, thank you. But we never see what's inside the bag. And we talked about that, like how annoying that was. And in the book, it's, chocolate paydays, paydays a bunch of chocolate yeah. paydays and uh here we actually do see harold eating a chocolate payday which is mm-hmm. after the the bus assaults which makes me think that there was more scenes that were perhaps shot about around that and that they were going to actually like touch on that a little bit but you know they didn't but anyways yeah. i do like that we see it and that it like i feel like every episode owen t gets some kind of great line delivery like last episode it was like his the fucking d- dimples. dimples yeah <laughs> and then here we have him being like uh oh the mistake i made or whatever mm-hmm. it's like his delivery is so good because he's eating a chocolate pita as he's eating it and it's to me a really great moment so that was that was the only other thing i really had so uh, i wrote yeah. down one thing and it's a license plate when they're sitting there all talking about it down and it, <laughs> the license plate says zero four one two eight ck i don't think there's anything to it i searched online i couldn't find anything but the license plate was Fulton, Georgia. So I was thinking, well, we just did Green Mile, which takes place in Georgia, but it's not Fulton, I don't believe. So I, I didn't think there was anything scanning. on it. Because you were When we were watching it last night, I could watch Mike. Well, because like, cause we all do it. Yeah. We, I do it yeah. anytime I watch anything now. But the license I, I plate's the easiest thing to do stuff. Exactly. You know? Well, and, they, took, yeah. they did it in It, yeah. you know, with the Christine license plate. So, And it's also that license plate, it's because it's behind Harold the entire time yes. on the bus. So you're looking at it. It's in your peripheral. So we kept looking at it. But I knew you were writing it down. But Mike, whenever we were watching the episodes, like I'm sure the rest of you, we scan each scene. Like, look yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess you could say that, like, it, it was 04128, uh, 14008, 1408. Yeah. Mm, that's oh. a stretch. Boo. Yeah. So I don't know. The only other thing I'll say about, like, the, uh, it's funny because this isn't even King's Dominion, but I just forgot to bring it up earlier. Uh, this is a thing I liked. And um, I'll just say that what I liked about this episode is it actually took pains to show why Larry was on the Boulder Free Zone Committee. Yes. Because oh, I great. think that is always a question of just kind of like, why is Larry part of it? Here they actually showed that his ability to work a crowd and calm mm-hmm. people down and sort of set people at ease is actually really important because yeah. it be- the meeting begins with impening, not epping, saying, <laughs> tell us about the, the man who was brought in who was crucified or whatever. And mm-hmm. Stu doesn't know what to say. And then Larry kind of steps in and basically spins the convo and makes it you know, settles everyone down and kind of finds a way to, to use his stagecraft as a means of, um, as leadership. And I actually like that because it's an effort to sort of address something that the show is clearly aware of. Cause they had Larry say several times, I don't even know why I'm part of the yeah. committee. <laughs> right. And then they actually showed this is why, because you actually know how to talk to people and like work a crowd, which is right. important. So. Some good subtlety. Good use of that 12 minute cold open. Yes. Right. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. It's a long one. It's uh, a long one. Before the intro comes in. Jen, did you yeah. have uh, some KD? 
I did. Yeah, I found one. So when he pulls out the the pamphlet for the ski lodge, the avalanche, if you look really closely, there's an image of Stephen King wearing like a ski jacket. And he's got like hot chocolate and skis over his shoulder. Oh, God. And, I was you know. sitting here I, like, oh, I, I, I actually one. thought you were going to say <laughs> there is a, like a thing for like Sidewinder or like the Overlook or something well, like that. I was looking at the pamphlet last night. I was right, like, really I was trying too, to scan yeah. it, thinking oh, like, oh, God. they'll put some Kingsdom in and this shit. Um, but woof, you, you just me. got me. You had me there. Yeah. I just leaned closer to my mic well, for um, that one. We, we, we were all reeled in, all waiting. <laughs> I cast the spell. And we were, we were all huddled over our mics. And that's where we're going to have to be for our next section. Final thoughts. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> Okay, I'll be right there. He said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. What are we doing, final thoughts, Mike? Well, that's a good question, Rock and Randall. Uh, in final thoughts, this is where we give our final thoughts. And, <laughs> and in the form of bright red Pennywise, a reference to it, which is mm. where we get our namesake, mm. the Losers Club, uh, Pennywise clown noses. So we're going to start with you, Jen. Okay, my ranking for this episode, I'm going to give it four and a half bright red Pennywise clown noses referencing it. If there had been more Nadine, I would have given it a five because I love this. I have been dying to see the zoo for, I don't know, 25 years, and they gave it to me, and they did such a fantastic job, and I loved it. I just want more Nadine. So four and a half, and my MVP – I have two honorable mention MVPs. I just have to say is Tom and Odessa Young. But my MVP again is my man Owen T. Oh man, my he gosh, he's just killing it. Like his facial expressions. I almost mentioned he's this amazing. in the cemetery. Like his and when we talked to Benjamin Cavell, he talked about how plastic his face is. Yeah. And like the the expressions that he has on his face, they, they go like there's a moment where he's scary, and then you can tell he's trying not to cry, and then he's scary again, and he's trying not to cry, and it's just amazing. Well, I, I don't want to spoil too much. Much, but uh, we did talk to literally two hours before this. I talked to Owen Teague, and we talk about those very facial expressions. So uh, really? look whoa, for that whoa, whoa. soon on another episode of uh, Halloweenies. No, I'm just joking. Losers <laughs> Club. That's a little uh, sleight of hand there. Uh, and that sleight of hand is going to point over to Sammy. What is uh, your me. final thoughts? I'm going to give this one four and a half bright red uh, Pennywise schnozzes, too, oh. because. I this is my I, I thought that the first episode was going to continue to be my favorite and who knows as we go on um, but this one for sure is my favorite this is the only one like we discussed earlier where the structure and format works for me where mm. this like lost you know thing the back and forth yes yeah. the back and forth of lost like you and they've even said they were inspired by that this is the first episode where it's just I was totally on board for it and I agree with Jen like Owen Teague is just he's absolutely amazing to me mm. uh every scene i think he steals the show is he your mvp of this episode? he's my mvp oh I my just, God. yes yeah i absolutely i love him i just i me get too. excited when he's on screen anytime like that tom cruise you know see even when he like looks at it in this episode too for a quick moment it's just like god i just love him yeah. i mm-hmm. i think he like and obviously like i've been a big fan of his for a while but just i think this 
this series has solidified for me that I can't wait to see what he does next. Same. Especially knowing that he's so young. He has so much more to grow. Like, I watched him in Bloodline. Obviously, like, it's just, I'm so excited to see how great he is doing. And this episode just, it has it all for me. Like, soundtrack I thought was great. Cinematography I thought was great. Franny was a 10 out of 10 for me, too. Mm-hmm. Every Everything just... Aside from Nadine, everything was there. And I hope that this series can continue on that because yes. I thought the last few weren't up to that caliber. And this one for me is just like, if I were to tell someone, hey, you should watch The Stand, I'd be like, wait for episode four. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, based on the two responses we've heard so far, you might say that this episode was written by Owen King, but it stars King Owen. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> Let's go to Rock and Randall I for know, his guys. final thoughts. It's so bad. It's hey, so bad. <laughs> I give this episode four bright red Randall flag clown noses. Randall flag. <laughs> uh, I give it four Randall flag boot heels clicking on the pavement. <laughs> <laughs> I like this episode a lot. I think it was uh, it was well structured. It was well acted. Focused on the characters that I care about, and I think that's why it's so successful. Is that it does focus mostly on characters that I think are the most successful characters in uh, the series so far. But yeah, the zoo again, really well done. Uh, a difficult scene to shoot, I think, and they did a good job with it. My MVP. Uh, I mean, obviously, I think I would always go with Owen Teague, but uh, just to shake things up, I'm going to go with Catherine McNamara as Julie mm. Laurie, who I think did a great job in one of my favorite scenes in in that she actually brought things out of Nick that I felt like were really necessary. And yeah. uh, and I think she did capture both sides of a pretty repellent character mm-hmm. and could actually show aspects of that character that were resonant and uh, made you understand, see this person as a human, because I have a good feeling we're going to see her somewhere else in the future. Yeah. But yeah, I think she was pretty great and uh, good. And I love the dress. So like you guys said, so, so yeah, uh, good episode. Uh, very excited to see where things go for me. Well, can I change my MVP? What, uh, Kojak. Yes. To Kojak. 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 Because Kojak. Kojak. He's not even in the No, listen. There's a scene at the end of the zoo where he comforts Dana and he's like a good little therapy oh, yeah, dog. That's true. And he's sitting there. Yeah, that's true. And that's Kojak is the MVP. That's good. That's I good. Wish, I wish Garvey had Kojak or uh, Kujo with him. <laughs> <laughs> we had like a dog and dog action going on there. Oh, great. Be like, look at all these dogs. He's the goodest boy. Yeah, he is a goodest boy. But um, all right. Well, look, I'm going to round this out. I, I think it's almost unfair to kind of compare this to the pilot because I think the pilot at this point, you know, going forward, I thought that was the best we'd seen, just like what Sam was saying. But here's the thing. I think the pilot is gets an unfair advantage because it's a clean slate. You know, the structure and format really didn't have any much anything to compare to because you're really just starting off from fresh. Not to mention, you're only scraping the world at that point. So you really couldn't get to test the structure and format. You really kind of have it pristine. This... You're four in, you got all these characters, you got all these threads, and yet the structure and format has never felt stronger, like in this in yeah. this episode, in this episode. So I think that this is hands down the strongest display in that uh, facility. But I think like what Sam was saying, the beats are in sync. I mean, the flashbacks aren't unruly like last week on Blank Pages. This There's time to breathe. You know, I talked about the, the Franny and Stu moment, which where you could hear the wind. I love that. I thought that was shocking. But, you know, this is the episode where you really do feel about, like, and care about the cast. Enough that I, I really 
I mean, I'll admit it. I teared up when Tom had to leave. Like, I and I was mm-hmm. kind of shocked by it. I was like, Jesus! Like, I hardly know him. Gotcha, um, but right in uh, the so I think this is kind of the show on its steadiest footing. And so for that, I'd, I'd give it four and a half. Bright red Pennywise Clownos. This is my favorite chapter yet. And my MVP, I got to go to Dessa Young. I think she, mm. the the moments that we get with her here, like I love her narration, I love her closing narration where she's talking about like the previous societies and how like humanity has you know yeah. prevailed and under the the most duress circumstances. But yeah, like all of her, all of her performances, especially at the zoo, um, she says so much with her face, just like Owen Teague does, mm-hmm. and she's just blown me away with, with, you know, so far four episodes in, and I just love every time she gets on screen, I'm just like, yes, we're gonna, you know, see what's going on next. So great up, really, really great up, and um, really excited to see where we're going because I'm, I'm assuming that we're gonna definitely start going to sin city soon because i mean we gotta we're about five episodes into this damn thing we (laughs) haven't even gone to vegas yet i need some trash can man entering vegas music plan where's trashy we need it i need randall flag okay i know know. it's been a while since i've seen and we know you like randall flag So let's see, where are our rankings, I would say, for a character? I would imagine that Owen Teague is still pretty high up there based on votes, based on the last few episodes. So I would say Owen Teague is pretty, is still king. Uh, He's the prince right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, stay tuned next week for Suspicious Minds, which sounds like a CSI spinoff. I was going to say. Uh, But yeah, we're going to be talking about Suspicious Minds. That's a tongue twister. I guess my Bill Denver <laughs> came Denver, up. Yeah. Um, uh, full disclosure, I did have uh, speech impediments growing up, so they come up from time to time. Uh, but full anyway, disclosure. Yeah, um, <laughs> full disclosure. Anyway, uh, look, what do, what do we got coming up next? Uh, more Stan. Uh, we're going to be talking about, by now, our episode on uh, the Blair Witch Project, which is our crate episode on our Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash the Barons is up. So if you want to hear us talk about... You know, all that stuff that happened up in Burkittsville, Maryland. The <laughs> great <laughs> film. The great film. Yeah. Love it to death. And I'm so scared. Yeah, I'm, I'm and already also, scared. if you are not a Patreon patron, we just readjusted our tiers. So mm-hmm. please check out what those are over at patreon.com slash the barons. And we just launched our Discord channel. So yeah. if you are a Discord user, we have a Patreon exclusive Discord channel where you can talk King all the time with us and with uh, fellow constant losers. We launched it. Uh, you know, today. I'm trying to think. Hey, it's today, yeah, too. but I'm trying yeah, to right? think of like when this is airing. So it'll be like oh. two days ago. Yeah, okay. two days ago. It, We're talking it, Tuesday, January fifth. <laughs> <laughs> Full disclosure. Uh, and so it it it's already popping off and lots of good conversations happening in there. So if you want to be part of it, you can become, uh, you can join our discord for, uh, only $5 a month. That's beginning. And, uh, lots of good content in the Baron. So please check that out. Totally. And, and you forgot to mention that, uh, our long bit, of Glenn Bateman is now an emoji. Oh, it's a now an emoji. So. Unreal, wow, unreal. Well, what a feat, Jen. <laughs> what do we got? Uh, what do you got coming up uh, over at uh, Psychoanalysis? Well, when this episode drops, we will have just dropped our episode on depression in the Babadook, which is I love that movie and I think it was a really good conversation and then in the totally opposite direction we've got Randall guesting yes. to talk about Troll 2 yes. as he a comfort loves Troll 2 <laughs> they're eating her so much fun my first experience with this movie and it was it was a blast so yeah that and then we may just have an episode coming up soon about history's greatest movie Terminator 2 oh so. wow that is going to be I wow. cannot yeah. I might die from excitement I was going to say yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> cue the Brad Fidel score. I Jesus. I, I think Terminator 2. I think Jen Farah 2. Yeah, it might be five hours long. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. I, it should be split into like six different episodes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For one two-hour movie. Well, look, oh, this has been a lot oh. of fun. I've, I'm glad we got to unplug together and talk all things The Stand on CBS All Access. Uh, if you haven't already, please follow us on our socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Sammy, you, you can Yeah, you'll me. be talking to me on there. Yeah. So, <laughs> so and, uh, and if you haven't already, please, God, leave us a review. <laughs> God, we could use God. some really just Jeez. just give us a review. Dear Jesus, for the love of God, give us a review. Holy uh, fuck. You know, look, just just give us a review. It'd be nice. <laughs> you put know? the review oh, on. on the site. Just You'll have any more of those review. reviews? But yeah, go go to Apple Podcasts and and leave us a nice review and uh, start hiding the ones that say that we talk about Trump too much. <laughs> Until then, we'll be seeing you over long days. And, and pleasant, pleasant night. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. But you know you want somebody to treat you. He just looks like a goober. Yeah. <laughs>